Crash Court Podcast. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I'm John, a.k.a. Um, nothing. Oh, you went. You had a little, I, I you had a little addendum AKA, there, did you? Anymore. I'm Steve. No AKAs. Just just Steve. Okay. Just Steve? Yep. That, that, we should I'm, just call I'm happy you, with that. You know, just being Steve. Just I'm, another Steve in the wall. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Let's call him Justy. Justy? Yeah. You really just want me to have a you name. nickname. Yeah. Just because you don't yeah. like Jan Saunders. <laughs> it's been a while since we brought that up. No, it hasn't been. It hasn't been. They're all fresh in my memory. <laughs> and if he tries anything with me now, he knows that I'm just going to come back with that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's barbs, there's stings, there's arrows. I'm fletched. Wow. Wow. All right, yeah. that got fletched deep. And anyway, um, so this week we're taking on an album uh, by a band pretty close to my heart. Um, of course, it's Blink-182's newest record, California. Um, I grew up listening to this band, and... Uh, this is this is kind of I realized over the course of listening my Decemberists like Steve. Oh, is it really? Well, like the way you talk about how much the Decemberists is a part of your musical development. In some sense, in yes. some sense, that's that's kind of blink for me. Like everything that I grew up listening to, kind of I, I started with Blink as one of the bands that I always yeah. listened to. Well, I had well the Decemberists were a little bit late in that lineup yeah. because they weren't quite so early in my life. But, right, uh, they were they were somewhat. Pivotal, I guess, when they came along. Yeah. But I could definitely see over the course of this podcast in terms of, like, really loving a discography. Yeah. And how, you know, John had his Weezer and really loved the discography there with some blips. Yeah. <laughs> and I had some blips and now you And, like, also. I had sort of felt that way about Korn when we first did them way, way back. But yeah. their last couple of albums leading up to the one we reviewed, I wasn't on board with. Yeah. Whereas Blink, even though they'd broken up until recently, I loved every one of their records. It's tough because we try to review these albums in a vacuum and certainly when we come across key uh, bands like these that we know the discography so well, it's going to be almost impossible to yeah. review them in a vacuum. We have to consider some of the previous albums that they've put out. But I did not have much personal experience with Blink-182 until maybe college. Interestingly enough, it was sort of a second-hand band for me, I guess. A lot of my friends really loved Blink-182, and I guess I kind of got into them afterwards. But I never had immersed myself in the albums, on the album scale. Uh, and that's why we do this, because it kind of helps us you know, fill in the gaps of our knowledge. But I also, considering you know, I knew that they had kind of gaps in their discography. I couldn't help but do a quick Google search uh, of this band and just try to browse their previous stuff. I was actually trying to first get to the wiki page and maybe a few interviews, and the first thing that popped up was an article from Forbes titled, Who Are These Alt-Rock Fans Snapping Up Blink-182 Over Drake? Which, of course, references the fact that Drake had the number one album for, like, the last nine weeks, yeah. and they were dethroned, as it were. But I found that a rather indignant title, because people don't realize what a huge cross-section of America Blink-182 actually represents. Actually, one of my favorite quotes uh, when I was doing research for this album was from Maria Sherman of The Village Voice back in, I believe, 2013. She said... It's pretty simple. Blink-182 is the most important band of the 90s, dick jokes and all. <laughs> Apart from the sound, Blink's ideology has been popularized, and their presence is everywhere. And that's what it was like for me growing mm -hmm. up. I'm in the same sort of boat as Matt, and while Weezer and Green Day were the bands, the discographies I latched onto, the album Enema of the State, 
and the live album that immediately followed that, the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, were huge hits for me. They were probably the most played albums I had for six months to a year because of just how enticing they were, how engrossing they were, and how hysterical they really were. They have the dick jokes. They have the funny jokes. There's really, really disgusting things done on that live album that, honestly, I'm not going to repeat on air because, frankly, you got to bleep out the next 30 minutes. But between these these jokes, there were just the sort of songs that kind of captured my teenage angst so perfectly growing up. They had great hooks. They had uh, a lot of atmosphere to them, as you said, kind of the the the, the band of the times, I guess. They captured yeah. an era, and yeah, that's why I, I feel even if you don't catch them firsthand, like I didn't, then you at least must catch them second or third hand. They're just they were played everywhere, um, ubiquitous in the good sense. I feel their impact is undeniable. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, so. A little background about what Blink means to me is I'd been listening to them before Enema. I'd been listening to them since the years of Cheshire Cat and Buddha as well. Um, shout out to my friend Dan Colonna, who I've known for quite many, many years. Um, we used to call him Dan It because he would play the song Damn It all the time, the opening riff. The like that guitar riff constantly. But they were kind of everywhere for me because growing up an angsty teen you know, in suburbia, they reflected a lot of what I felt at the time. And the difference, though, I find for me as a Blink fan versus other people is, you know, from when they switched from their original drummer, Scott Rayner, to Travis, who's been with the band since, to, you know, now where they have replaced Tom, who left the band with uh, Matt Skiba, it, it, I've been through everything with this band, and I liked the evolution they made from the earlier kind of raw stuff to Enema of the State, which was undeniably their biggest album. Their uh, best album. Uh, see, and I'm No, 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 their best. I'm conflicted there. I don't agree wholeheartedly. I feel like I like Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, but then when they released the self-titled The Neighborhoods, which were much later, mm -hmm. much, much later, you know, self, the self-titled, which was 2003, and then Neighborhoods, which was 2011, you know, this huge gap, but still with those three core members who'd been through those all those albums together, I felt the evolution of the band, their personalities, and I love those records. Right. And I love the growth and the production work. And then, you know, they go on hiatus again, you know, Tom leaves again, and now they bring in the lead singer of Alkaline Trio, who I'm familiar with vaguely. I don't know very well. That's but right. It's I not know like him. 2011 is yesterday either. <laughs> right. It's another kind of long hiatus. It's it's like you know I'm not sure where I stand with them anymore. But you know, reflecting and preparing for this, I love all of their records, and there are not a lot of Blink fans who say that. Most of them either like the really early stuff and then hate everything after. Got in at Enema, like Enema, and take off the pants and jacket, and then don't really like the later stuff, which is John, and then me, who is ubiquitously likes everything. Well, that's actually an interesting point, because I feel this is an album that really could inspire a lot of Blink fans to argue about what Blink is and yeah. who Blink is as a band, what their sound is, what direction they want them to take, which is a sticky situation, because you can't really tell a band how to approach their music. It yeah. comes out of wherever they are in life, which is why, you know, I, I came across another uh, a New York Times article, which is called Popcast, The Return of Pop Punk and Emo, which is interesting because the return of pop punk... I feel like ah, it never left. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I feel like it never left and it's... It might just not be in the mainstream now. Yeah, it might not be in the mainstream and I don't know. I go back back and forth in this because I'm not necessarily sure it's something to herald, really. I, it, it never really left and it's why it's weird that we're, we're being so nostalgic so soon about that, yeah. which is why, you know, I think it was uh, appropriate to say when that they were evolving, and I think it was sort of away from pop punk, but at the same time, 
really close to it, kind of working within the constraints of pop punk, because it's not really their M.O. to escape pop punk. In fact, it was said by their producer, John Feldman, who's the producer for this album, uh, who also was the lead singer of the band Goldfinger, by the yeah. way. Thanks for that information <laughs> Matt provided. Yes. Um, a band who's, by the way, in semi-retirement. But he said that his agenda on this album was to have an album that was palatable for a generation of ADD kids. And that, that makes me cringe a little bit, yeah. because... I don't know. It's not their M.O. to escape pop punk, but I like when they work within the constraints. But this suggests that it is far more, you know, uh, typical pop punk, much that you'd find in other bands. Well, it also sounds like they're focusing on, like, they want, they want, they they went into writing this record with a goal of being ubiquitous, and that's a bummer. That is a bummer. Considering they took a lot of risks on neighborhoods, yeah. and I but like that. I'll make the argument that the big detractor as far as the major fan base goes, of the self-titled and neighborhoods was the fact that they actually pushed pushed the boundaries of what they were doing. Right. Up until that point, they were well within the confines of no, being no, no, a yeah, ubiquitous pop-punk no, band. No, of course. Well, this is the last quote, I promise, but the New York Times also wrote that the band took punk's already playful core and gave it a shiny, accessible polish, yeah. which is the same thing phrased a little more politely and um, alluring, question yeah, mark? I mean, Not for me. I see right through it. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, that said, we haven't really gotten into this yet, so this is kind of, it suggests that this is more of like a back to the rock or back to the melodies, the core hooks kind of an album, but, you know, from everything that I can find, all members are just happy to be here, just happy to be playing, happy to be making music the way they want. Not unlike, you know, when we did review uh, Weezer with the whole, like, back, back to the shack, just getting yeah. back to into the thick of it, you know, even if it wasn't their most uh, experimental, edgy stuff, yeah. it was still interesting and it was just good songwriting so we're going to try to find that in this album uh when it's available and we did largely enjoy that album on the basis of nothing complex just good songwriting earwormy stuff so let's 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 see what this has in store so yeah and as we get into uh, track one cynical which is the the obviously the first track on the album because that's how numerical order works um i want to say that i thought from the beginning that i would actually feel the hole that tom DeLong left. So Tom left the band. There had been difficulties with him in the rest of the band members. I don't know the details of why he left. It's obviously. a lot of it's hearsay. Yeah, but it's less. It's less whiny. Right. Well, so he <laughs> left, and Matt and Matsky was taking his place. And uh, you know, I will say that I miss his voice, even though it was whiny. Like it, it had a character that I I associated with this. It did. But but that said, I don't mind Matt's voice. I mean, even in the very beginnings of this track, his vocals. You know, when he when he comes in to sing. It's different, but it still feel feels like it fits the hole that was left. Yeah, I really liked Cynical as an intro. I think it actually achieved its goal, uh, the ADD kids line notwithstanding. One yeah. thing you get from writing songs in that manner is you do get concise. Uh, there's no dead wood on this song at all. It's only one minute, 56 seconds long, and it's a fairly busy one minute and 56 seconds. I mean, they not got, in the it, beginning, though. It does start a little slow. Well, and, that's what I mean, yeah. is that it has that, and then it has yeah, the other right. thing. Sure. It goes through a lot of motions over the, a short span of time. It's just the guy in guitar, or actually really guy in bass intro. Uh, I, I liked the warm tone to that bass, followed by this creeping, ominous synth in the background. This is all over the lines. There's a cynical feeling saying, I should give up. You said everything you'll ever say. There's a moment of panic when I hear the phone ring, anxieties calling in my head. So all this tension here, tension and anxiety, just building up, building up, and then finally it just snaps in half with uh, the ominous synth that just it just explodes following the, the pre-chorus with this just crazy drum solo and then a balls-to-the-wall mosh pit, sort of. And then these drums show up, and I remembered why. 
why Blink was so great back in the day, Travis. Travis was the one that made the band for me, and his chops are there. He, it, it's, it's ridiculous the way he's playing around with it. It's so clear, though, and that's one of my favorite aspects of this introduction. It's clear the guitar's not really getting in the way. The bass isn't getting in the way. You're just getting a lot of great percussion going on. That was another thing that was you know always present in their music. The drums were the most technical aspect. To put it nicely... Travis was present. <laughs> yeah, Travis was there. He just had to show doing, up. Or even when Scott was there. When he was there, when they were playing. Yeah. Yeah, Mark and Tom took a step back. They weren't the greatest musicians in the world, but they kind of knew it, so they let their drummer shine through. Well, yeah, I mean, that was always how they wrote the instrumentation for a lot of these songs. We're designed around a drum core that would pull the song together. And that's where the strength lives, and I feel like Cynical absolutely represents that. And as far as, like, a tone, it does take me back to Enema of the State, that kind of short and bittersweet song that you kind of get wrapped up in as it leans in slowly and then hits the gas hard. And I really attached myself to that. This also reminded me of the later stuff, like the self-titled Neighborhoods, because the tonal shift between the intro with the weird synth stuff and then the actual punky part is a lot of kind of thing they did with the production work and the sound on Neighborhoods. Yeah, and it's also, you know, I said mosh pit before, but I'm not talking yeah, yeah. like a metal mosh pit. It's a light-hearted mosh pit. It's enjoyable. It's it's full of indie kids, you know? Yeah. Their, their bodies are too fragile to really crack skulls. So you're going to have a fun That's time. That's a fair point. No one's I getting mean, hurt. I mean, truth be told, even when I'm in mosh pits, I don't want to crack skulls. I'm too old for that yes. shit. Another thing that does show up... One time I did crack the back of my skull, but that, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that was a metal thing, a metal thing, not, not this stuff. One thing that does show up that is uh, harkening back to the previous stuff and allows me to really accept Matt as a new core member mm -hmm. is the call and response that comes later in the chorus. Yeah. The back and forth between the two, this is something that was a common trope for them to use. Uh, but here, it does showcase the similarity of the voices, which was always a thing. Mark and Tom weren't too far from one another. One was just a little bit whinier than the other. This, yeah, it's a little bit smoother, but it, it shows that they do harmonize well together mm -hmm. and they do make good counterpoints to one another. And it, it invites you. It's it's just a good feeling to get, you know, blink again. And I'm, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. The tone, I though, feel like this this caliber of discussion is going to be coming back a lot in this. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just blink again. And it kind of does ring true to that Weezer discussion that yeah. we had. A lot of songs we rated in that in that context. And it can get a little tiring. This is a 16-track album. I don't want to make that all 16 tracks. So let's just leave it at this as a 1 minute and 56 seconds. And for one track, at least one track, we're good with this. Yeah. We're all good no, with absolutely. this. No, absolutely. And it... it, it, it it's a strong intro track too. If we haven't said that already, the tightness and the and the brevity of it yeah. makes it a great way to introduce new people to Blink as well as longtime fans. Yeah, the melody and the chorus, it's it's a huge it's a selling point for me at this point. So let's go on to track two, Bored to Death. So this is the first single off the record. It's the first song I actually heard. When, when I heard they were coming out with a new record, I saw this on Spotify by itself before the full record was out. And I listened to it, of course, because it's like, how do you see a song by a band long, almost long forgotten that you love and go, I'm not going to listen to that. Yeah. Unless it was Weezer during the Hurley days. But enough about that. Fair enough. So some comments <laughs> on the intro here. I liked the intro to this a lot. It's Of course, you mentioned that that phasing that it does it in the beginning. It had like a hollow drum tone. And that is something that you said they do a lot in previous work and whatnot. I, mean, I still liked it, just face value. I would use the term a lot loosely. It's it's something I've one heard before. One or two of these yeah, things For sure, big singles record. in the past have yeah. done And then I really liked the, the tone of the bass and the guitar to follow. And also this this overlap here. I like This is probably my favorite thing about this, is just how they're overlapping. You have the phasing in the beginning without anything 
else. And then you have the, the, the bass and the guitar stepping in here. Um, first the phasing, in comes the bass and the guitar, and then the phasing leaves, and then the verse begins, and the bass and the guitar persist through. Yeah. That riff persists, and it's a very tasteful riff. Like I said, I the, the something about the tone here, the bass is very muddy, and the guitar is also kind of muddy, but bright at the same time. Together, it's just this great little contemplative sequence that keeps me very, very attached to the verses in this song, very closely. And then the pre-chorus shows up. When the pre-chorus yep. shows up, I love the build that's going on Very right here. brief pre-choruses, yes. too. All throughout this album, in fact. They're just, like, like a couple of lines, always. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time they're longer is if they're repeated, but they, they kind of rein it in, and I like that. Like we were saying with the whole previous track, when they bring in a pre-chorus, they don't keep it too long, so you kind of move to whatever's next. But, and here's where the first but shows up of this album. But what happens directly after a pre-chorus is something that happens pretty much throughout this entire album and at times can be a positive at times can be a negative but this reining in this step back this kind of mellowing out leads to a big wall of sound type of a chorus a big upbeat lots of mosh lots of energy and it doesn't always work here it's a little bit wishy-washy it kind of works and it works within context of the song but i'm not quite feeling it i'm not quite as energized as it really seems to need me to be. Well, here's the thing. I, like, just simply to say it's a wall of sound, I imagine most choruses, probably in most songs ever, are probably a little bit more energetic. It almost seems like a redundant point, but there's just something about the caliber of this. In fact, I was kind of brought back to a moment in uh, episode 199, not too long ago, uh, on the Impossible Past by the Menzingers, featuring guest Matt Dorsey. And it was very, very late in the episode, during your wrap-up, I think, uh, uh, Matt, where you made a sort of passing indirect comparison to Fallout Boy. I did. And yes. uh, me and Matt, other Matt, Matt Dorsey that is, we shared a little cringe moment at that moment because <laughs> at least on my part, Fallout Boy has come to kind of emblemize the whole like we're we're making rock and we're selling out right and left and that's pretty much <laughs> it. That's what they do. They settle into this just generic overproduced pop punk at the drop of a hat and you know, sidebar, you can actually listen to us review Fallout Boy in episode 138 American Beauty, American Psycho by Fallout Boy and the thing is you might wonder, how is this related? I hear it in the music here. And, well, disclaimer, later on, we actually get the lead singer of Fallout Boy collaborating with this band. And I don't believe it's too much of a stretch to make, because after all, Fallout Boy was probably pulling from a lot of the same pool that Blink-182 was pulling from. And you can actually, of course, say that Blink-182 did it first, and then yeah. Fallout Boy just kind of, like, made it poppier. But this is really poppy, so it almost feels like a feedback loop, where they're kind of borrowing from them, and then they're borrowing from, you know, it's, it's just this, this consistent trade-off. And I do feel that Blink-182 has always done it in a far more genuine sense, and also that it's silly to compare, because Blink-182 clearly predates Fallout Boy by many years. But the music is always the one thing that I concern myself with here, and this chorus it just has nothing to it in many ways like the critiques that you would hear of Fallout Boy. It's it's there's no no meat on it. I feel like I have I have to say this inside maybe a crowdproof cage, considering a lot of people who are really anti-Fallout Boy, but they're, like I said, they're drawing from the same exact pool and there's a distinct Venn diagram here. If In fact, if the goal is to be earwormy, you might even say that Fallout Boy generally is a lot more successful because, as you recall, I actually raised that album marginally in our year in review because I couldn't deny the undeniability of the of the stickability of those choruses. But I know this is going on a, a limb here, but I'm going to point out some p- specifics. For instance, the chord progression. The one five six four chord progression, I swear, is one of the emptiest chord progressions ever. I can't even pin an emotion on it because it's just so whitewashed. 
So I guess it's supposed to lift you up a little bit, you know, lift up your spirits, get you a little bit, you know, what are the lyrics here? Save your breath, I'm nearly bored to death and fading fast. Life is too short to last long. Back on earth, I'm broken, lost and cold and fading fast. Life is too short to last long. Well, actually, it's pretty depressing lyrics, all things considered. Yeah. But I guess it's supposed to be like in context. All right, well, life is too short to focus on the BS, so try to get over it, right? And that's what the chord progression tells me as an answer to these lyrics. But just melodically also, these short anthemic pulses, I don't know, there's just something about this that's very tiring, and it takes me back to a lot of pop punk that I've heard already. It doesn't give me that Blink-182 edge that we lauded ad nauseum in the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm not as harsh on the chorus as you. <laughs> I'm more leaning towards John, but... But I do see your point, and I did feel it too. I definitely like the verse and the pre-chorus much more here than the chorus itself. I felt also the song as a whole was a bit cookie cutter, and it gave me a bit of a conflict because while I'm excited to have Blink again, because, as I said, longtime fan, I've made that pretty clear at this point, I also have said that I liked the later albums as much, if not more, than the earlier stuff, and so... This is more towards the Enema of the State sound, the kind of ubiquitous blink sound. But I, And so I, I have this mental conflict. Like, I want more of this, but I also kind of really like where they were going. And, and so I don't know where to go here. Because at the core, I enjoy this song. Mm -hmm. I think it's fun and I like it. And that's what causes the conflict. Well, one thing that does step in, which, yeah, it's another cookie-cutter piece, but this is one of those, you know, little nuggets of chocolate you get in the chocolate chip cookies that's just so nice, the drum roll. Mm -hmm. The drum roll that sets in, it's it's something that is done a lot, not just with Blink, but in general. You get a, a nice little build-up, but this build-up is always impactful in songs like this. It's, it's meant to be. And then you get the slight oscillating back-and-forth guitar that steps in on top of it. This is something that just always builds tension, and it does a great job in the bridge to do this and yeah it's it's an endearing quality it's not a high quality piece but it's an endearing quality that makes songs like this the songs like bored to death uh, and make them more palatable for you not and well no i wouldn't even put it that way they're not just palatable they're enjoyable they okay. they, they do hit chords they do strike nerves that make me tap my feet that make me bob my head that make me get a little bit happy well obviously i'm i'm taking the harsher angle on this because i'm posing a perspective that's all i'm doing here and i actually see where matt's coming from a hundred percent with this because i do i can't deny that there is a lot of likability behind this veneer it's just that the veneer is very tiresome and i'm trying to address that early on here. Yeah. Um, and it's not the same for every track in this album at all. I just, I thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> it's the first time and it, it came will, up. And it will come up again. But let's move on to track three, She's Out of Her Mind. When this song starts, I'm continuing to get a sense of blink of years past. And, you know, like I said before, I'm not sure how it makes me feel. But that said, I did, I do find, you know, in relating to John now, I find myself tapping my foot and bobbing my head. I think that the lyrics here, and especially the vocals we get from Matt in this song specifically, he kind of starts to shine a bit in his verses. He, he kind, you get a sense of his voice and his personality, which I'm, I'm excited about. You know, you got a little bit of him bored to death, but he, it, it, you get more of it here. Yeah, he's not just a uh, uh, response in this case. He's actually stepping up a little bit mm -hmm. more to the plate, and I'm, I'm finding myself going, "Oh, okay, I can." Accept this, not just as Blink, but as a punk pop 
vocalist. Yeah. He, he fits right in, and he's doing a, a pretty good job of really getting the, you know, the kind of the airy yeah. emotiveness that I, I want with these these sort of tracks, with this sort of music. And musically, it's a it's a fun opening. It's, it's decently fun. It's also a lot of steady picking, you know? Yeah. It's like... I, that's a line that could probably also be misconstrued as, oh, well, so it's a lot of punk, you yeah, know? <laughs> I, yeah. But th- that enters the fallacy because then, you know, I'm citing the genre as the problem. And we can't do that. Well, well sort of, I, I think guess. I'm doing that. I think I'm doing that here. Okay. I think the genre's the problem, and I said it. Um, when they stray from the genre and when they borrow from the genre, but they are themselves at the core, that's usually when I'm a lot more optimistic. Let's swing over to something more positive. I like Blink's lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually like them a lot, and that's interesting, all things considered, because it's not, like, high poetry all the time. In fact, it's really just the opposite, but they have a wry sense of humor about it. Like, here's the thing. The whiny vocals actually used to keep me from looking at those lyrics, and he's not really a bad singer either, so I can actually overlook the whiny vocals. But even so, it, it brings out a certain point of view, his point of view, which is kind of like a wry immaturity. In other words... Look at the content here. I'm in deep with this girl, but she's out of her mind. See, well-adjusted adults wouldn't find themselves in this situation, but then life wouldn't be interesting if you were a well-adjusted adult, and that doesn't make for great songwriting, does it? So, at any age, the point is you do find yourself in these situations, and he knows it, and he kind of ridicules it, yeah. despite the fact that he's going through it. Yeah. So it kind of, he makes it ridiculous, and he makes it sort of cyclical. So, like I said, a wry self-awareness, I guess, of, of a problem that, theoretically, a high schooler would just as soon write about, and this is the thing, not saying that this is high school writing, this is actually a compliment, a high schooler would never dream of downplaying their problems to this yeah. extent. Uh, the bridge later on is, she's not complicated, can't be overstated at all. Right? Yeah. It's like that's not the kind of thing. A high school would make this all about, you know, that what they're going through is the is the is the end of the world. Yeah. Right? Life and is over. Life as is they know over it. as they know it. And he's kind of just, you know, suppressing it a little bit. It's not it's not as important and he knows it and he always has a sense of humor about it throughout every single song he writes. So that's my probably my favorite part about this song. Yeah, I mean well that and the drums, because And the know. drums and the drums. Because well, that's a constant on this album. I I know. It's not a hundred percent. Not constant. maybe not here. No, well, no, no, no. In this track, yes, but I wouldn't say for the album. It's not a hundred percent constant for the album. Okay. There are certain certain tracks that definitely shine higher than others. But I, I just want to follow up with one of my favorite lines from this track. Okay. Because we're we're waxing eloquence on the lyrics right now. She said, "I let her down. Let her down. I no longer dream of anything anymore." Said, "I'm a know-it-all. Know-it-all. You make me want to scream." And threw herself on the floor. Like it's that's 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 the combination. It's the childish imagery that's going on right here that I love, right. and has is something that is endearing in its own right. But it's also the fact that he's making fun of being an adult. Like you said, he's making fun of the seriousness that everybody is supposed to. That you're supposed to have a suit and tie and everything like that. But no, no, no. Yeah, here's, song here's at some the point, what was it called? What age are we, or something? What's my age again? Okay. Which, close. Well, <laughs> close, yeah, close yeah. enough. Close enough. Close enough. At least for an, an, an unknown novice to Blink-182. Oh, well, wow. Um, no, but actually the sentiment is very much the same. What's my age again is, you know, I believe 23. He is quoted to be in that age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's never growing up, staying a kid at heart in many ways, or at least yeah. an immature teenager at heart in, in, in every possible way you possibly can. What's he, 44? Yeah, he's 44. <laughs> 
Uh, Travis is young and at 40. <laughs> that's his age. Yeah. Again. <laughs> we shall bring it. I know that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, your puns. Your puns are gone. I have to, no, I have to remind him of the idea. Be like, oh, by the way, you're 44, which would kind of undermine all of this since it seems to be his like nebulous life where he whatever he goes through with one age is the same as he what he goes through now. So I see where he's coming from. I, uh... I just, I just, I guess I wish that the music were a little bit more up to snuff to bring that out. But then, of course, then the music would, you know, it wouldn't have that sort of indie kid punky feel, would it? Because that was only really something that is of a certain age group. Theoretically, even though really they're now all retired. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I think, like, we get something a little closer to what you're talking about, Steve, I think, in the next track, Los Angeles. Like, the, the beginning of this song has... A strange darkness to it. You know, the stuttered drum work yep. and the guitar tones here. I mean, this is also Travis showing off here. We get drum work unlike we've gotten on the album so far. More- a speed and a technicality that's just phenomenal. It's it's more stuttered than yeah, I yes. really would have expected in the guitar as opposed to the drums. The drums are, oh, well. are love to be stuttered. They love to be all over the place. That's fair. But here, yeah, guitar work, it's more setting building than what we normally mm-hmm. get. Instead of just being emotional, it is it does seem to actually try to paint a picture, which is that's that's weird for pop, <laughs> like in general, to try to do something like that. So here it's it's meshing really well and it is taking a step back from the very pop side and seems to be going more towards the punk. I mean, until we get to the chorus, where the chorus is even sung in a similar way to Steve was citing Centuries earlier by Fall Out Boy. It's just the way the lines are delivered. It feels like that. This is one of those occasions where the the, the Fall Out Boy overlap is huge. You know, and I I do hate to consistently make the comparison, but I'm sure there's probably a little bit of that on their minds, considering, again, later on, we do get Patrick Stump comes in to help with the songwriting. Um, So just in terms of their singing... And even in terms of their production, actually, the, yeah, for centuries, Los Angeles, it's the same exact thing. It's the same chord, the same chorus, the same emphasis, the same cadence, the same chaos in the background, and overall the same intensity. But here's the thing. I think while we're being honest about this, and I'm sure, you know, some people might hate that comparison, I like it. Yeah. I think that's actually a good thing here. I, I think that maintained the darker feel here, that, that particular chord on that emphasis. It's it's one of the main reasons why I did raise uh, American Beauty, American Psycho at the end of the year. Granted, I didn't raise it much. But still, right. I raised it enough because I realized that it had a certain, a certain edge to it, something that just sticks in your head. And this overall is a pretty intense track. There's that darker tone. It's very obvious in the chord. When will you save me, Los Angeles? I'm never coming home. It's not just the century's heights that gets hit right here. It's also the century's low, the quiet utterance. The first time the chorus comes in is... It's not chilling, okay? We're not going to go that far. But it's nice. It's very close to the mic. It's very close in your ears. It feels... It's a moment. Yeah, it's And it's it is really... actually chilling in the moment. I said in the beginning of this series that sometimes I like to talk about the, the isolated moment, the microcosm, uh, and which I believe can give you chills even if it does last for only a couple of seconds. The mind can process things that briefly. And one thing that is definitely standing out that is making this, in a lot of ways, kind of the centuries for this album, for me, it's it's... It really does hit a lot of the same points, but it is so much better to my ears. Drums, we got to reiterate this again. This is another standout-ish track for the percussion work. I would say, though, that musically and the way it's sung, I'd say, was engaging and I liked a lot. Lyrically, there's a lot of repetition here, and that's the only bummer for me, I think, is that, you know, the chorus, there's a lot of repeating, and even towards the end of the track, like, they just kind of come back to the same lines over and over again. 
But that said, it doesn't. I don't think it hurts the song. I think it because they're emulating what we're talking about. It fits for way, the way this was structured. Well, I wouldn't go so far to say emulating. Again, I don't know if this was a conscious well, decision, but it does feel a little. But uh, the, the idea, uh, more so that they're emulating that kind of mainstream pop punk, for them to repeat lines doesn't. No, seem but that's that interesting. Foreign. See that now, you say mainstream pop punk, despite that. Actually, of all songs, I would have felt that this is kind of a little bit outside that. Like, it has its oh, own character in a way, for some reason. And it probably feels one of the least pop-punk uh, tracks on this entire record. Well, I would make the argument that it does lean towards arena and anthemic a lot more than anything else. And a lot of pop-punk does do that now. Yeah. And it, it, but, it, but here's the thing. I will say it's not anthemic pop. It's no, not, not at all. that at all. Because it's almost a little bit too personal for that. Yes. Yeah. And that's what keeps it grounded. And that's what keeps it as a, as a worthy <laughs> actually, earworm for it's me. It's funny because... It's only um, it's only via the content of Fallout Boys, you know, for centuries that I would have called that anthemic. You know the line, "We, will, you will remember me for centuries." That obviously is a kind of anthem that they want you to sing along to. But yet, I it feels it. They make it personal in its own way because of the chord that they're because of the, the melody that they're singing. For yeah. some reason, it just doesn't have that edge. It fe- it does feel personal in a way. And so this is the cases where sometimes I just forget. I leave lyrics at the door. I don't really care what they're singing about. The music is, is more personal to me in the end. But that said, I understand what you're saying. It's not like completely outside the purview of what Blink would do. Yeah, you know, that's more or less what I'm saying. There is I mean, also the the really nice payoff in the ending that I, I really did enjoy right here. Uh, the bridge started off with a drum bass to band completionist kind of a feel. Yeah. But the ending just... It had a finality that was missing from the first three tracks. It had a like a come together, like kind of rocking session feel to yeah. it that the other tracks didn't quite do. We're, we're really more reliant in the chorus to have this feel. Mm-hmm. This this felt... Uh, how, how should I pu- put it? Fulfilling. Yeah. It, it, to the idea that they were building in the chorus, in the verses, in everything that came together. Yeah, except that there's once they built, there's, I don't know if there's really anything else. Like, yeah, that's the climax, the, and that's it. You're yeah, not going to get anything a, else besides that climax. But this this was a nice little, like, chewy bit to end up on. All right, all right, I'll give you that. We're just, we're, we're pulling out whatever we find, whatever we can chew on, I guess, within the course of these really pretty short songs. Again, yeah. nothing is longer than three minutes and 56 seconds, so it's not really a lot to develop into a part B, really, or anything like that. You get what you get. Track five, Sober. Yes, and this one is the track where <laughs> Patrick Stump makes an appearance. Uh, lead singer of Fall Out Boy. Helped in the songwriting or just uh, contributed? Songwriting. Just songwriting. He just helped the songwriting. write the song. Interesting. Um, so, given that... Uh, you can't really talk about this Venn diagram anymore. I was going to actually say, before I even knew that he was present on this album, uh, that there was going to be like a Venn diagram within this Venn diagram of things that I both like like and don't like. Yeah, a little bit. Both (laughs) like and don't like about Fall Out Boy, and yet they make their appearance in here and are either A or B. You know, that would be really confusing. But now it's relevant because it's the same exact circle. We got Patrick Stump here, so it's the same circle. There's no Venn diagram. It's two circles on top of each other. So the melody. Which would be a circle. Part of me wanted to hate the crap out of this, but then another part of me was irritatingly attached to it. Yeah. I never sing on this podcast, but uh, I know I messed up and it might be over, but let me call you when I'm sober. I'm a dandelion, you're a four-leaf clover, but let me call you when I'm sober. 
It's yeah. just, it has... I know I, it. I mean... That, <laughs> I remembered it. Yeah, yeah. And also, the way you're singing it is very Blink-182, that kind of head-bobbing song. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's actually bobbing his head back and forth. And right. have to do it during a song like Right, this. right. It's a requirement so, when singing a line like that that you have to actually bob your head. Yeah. So they d- infected us with the uh, earworm right from the get-go. And yeah, I kind of wanted to hate it, but it's... Too, like, I think we're all in agreement here on that. It's too puppy doggy. Yeah. It's too childish, and it's just looking up at you and saying, "Come on, sing along." I hated one can't... thing. I hated one thing when they followed it up with the na na nas. I'm just yeah. tired with the the the, the okay, endless. That... Whoa, O's, O's, na na na's. I actually kind of glossed over that in track two. In track two, they they went on that spiel at the end, and I just completely glossed over it. But but uh, yeah, they do it there's too many no sh- times on this album. There's no shortage of it, that's for sure. But then the verse comes in, and it's soft. I like this. This was this was a, a nice counterpoint to this very very way too cancerous airwormy that we get from the very beginning. The build that goes through this it actually has a bit of a progression when the pre-chorus steps up. It's nice. It's enjoyable, and it really suits what the chorus does. All right, well, you're talking about this the verse first. Yeah, the verse, this verse. Initially, we're talking about the verse, so we, let's read that. I woke up in the pouring rain, west side, Hubbolt, 7 a.m., sleeping by a dumpster to keep me dry with the radio on and a new black eye. Because I bet you couldn't knock me out, and I guess you really got me now. Black sedan ran a red light, just a drunken bike messenger on a Tuesday night. So, pictures of his... Uh, of his past, essentially. I guess, and it also, like, this, this, he's painting it like a scene. Like, you can see this stuff happening the way it's kind of the lines are delivered. Which is, again, scene setting is not a thing they always do, but they've done a few times on this record already. Uh, I mean, well, let's be careful here. I don't know if it's, well, I know, I take that back. I was going to say there's not really, like, musical imagery going on here, but it did have an, one nice touch to it. It had this, um, this little piano that makes an appearance. During the bridge, yeah. Yep, during the bridge, which I, I said I like a little bit of flavor, instrumental flavor, considering this is an album that really doesn't give us much extra beyond the core instrumentalists. So I was kind of appreciative of that. Um, and it, it did kind of, I guess, shape this track out nicely. Yeah, like, at first you know. I would have been inclined to say it was fleeting, but honestly, because of the emotion of the track and the way it was building and the scene setting, the piano did kind of fit, and even though it didn't, it wasn't a very long piano part, it it's not foreign for Blink to do something pretty and kind of momentarily you know, focusable like that. So, you know, I, I took it as what it was. And then we get a clapping chorus. I'm okay with this. And everybody knows I hate clapping and whistling and na-na-nas and things like that, like the tropes. But it, it just works too well, also well wasn't here. super super loud. It was mixed kind of low to give just... It felt more like percussion than actual clapping. Yeah, and that's what kept it from really infringing upon my ears a little bit too much. It's, Maybe I'm it's, getting soft on this podcast, but there's a Barnes & Noble track, and I liked it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be what it really works well as, end of the day. This is a department store track that just... It, it, it takes all the basic ideas and puts them in a light that Look, makes them Well, when you're flow. looking within the context of, like, department store-oriented stuff, like you said off-air, I believe, not in the beginning, although I, I kind of wanted you to read this quote in the very beginning of this episode, something about it being, like, a state-issued to some extent, or rather they were described that way. And I know they're not, like, mass-produced or, or you know... Uh, it's it's not manufactured pop by any sense. They're genuine people writing their own music. But how did the, how did the the line go? This is from uh, Alternative Press, 2015. The 30 most in thir- influential bands of the last 30 years. Okay. 
These three snot-nosed San Diego punks bottled suburban angst and distilled it into bright, shiny pop songs that might as well have been state issue to every American teen. Uh, and I love the Okay, so that's okay. the key words, might as well have been, right? Yes. This is why I'm not saying that's what it is. But when you're looking within the context of that kind of stuff, things that might suit that environment, then this is pretty high. This is what I'd rather be listening to than... It's in, like, the top 1% of all of it. Sure, and it's... Undeniable, whether you love or hate Fall Out Boy, that Patrick Stump knows how to write catchy songs that get stuck in your head. Like, that, it's just fact, and so for this song to kind of go in that direction makes perfect sense. And I don't mind it here. You know? It's not even I don't mind it. I'm still enjoying it. Like, up until this yeah, yeah. point, the album's actually becoming even more enjoyable. Sober is a fun track that I just had to go along with, and it following up Los Angeles, which was, like, a real powerhouse for me. I'm I'm cruising along. I'm enjoying Blink. I, I agree. I agree with that. And it actually made the I think that the album flow is pretty is pretty good all things considered because we have an interlude following this. So yeah. you're at least getting variety in the types of songs that they're doing. Well, yeah, and this is something that was more re- uh, referential to when John mentioned their live record here. We get a song track 6 Built This Pool, which is a 17-second <laughs> comedy track. There is instrumentation here, but the, you know, there's a lyric or two and that's it. And it's the the whole thing about this song is it's supposed to be a gag. And honestly, as a fan of Old Blink and how goofy they were on stage and how they picked on each other and the fans and made fun of themselves you know, made tasteless jokes. I appreciate that they put this on, though it does feel a little forced, but I'll let John read the actual lyrics. It, okay, there is one aspect that prevents it from feeling forced for me, and that's actually what follows up the quote song. Yeah. So here are the lines. Woo woo, I want to see some naked dudes. That's why I built this pool. Music stops, and then you get, is that really it? Yeah, which I think was self-referential. I like that. That's how their flow works. That's why you get dick jokes. That's why you get stuff like this, and why it it just it it, the childish nature of what you know this band does comes forward. And this is not something to wax eloquence on because that would be uh, yeah antithetical to the point of the track. It it broke up the monotony with a chuckle, and that is its job. So track seven, no future. So before we get too far into this song, I know I've kind of prefaced a lot of the tracks with drumming was awesome, you know, because we talk a lot about Travis being a virtuosic drummer. Here particularly, the scat drumming that he's doing, this kind of skip roll, is particularly impressive. And it reminds me of just about every time I've seen them live, and probably too many times to count, at least three that I can think of off the top of my head, probably more. Travis always would get a featured moment where he could show off his drumming skills. And one of the most impressive things he ever did that I saw live is he was in this kind of roll cage, the whole drum set, and it had this kind of arc over him with a cage around him. And it seemed odd at first, like they were segregating him or something. I don't know. Like he was separate. It seemed like he was separate from the band because he was in this cage. But what happened was... At about, I don't, I don't remember, maybe about like halfway through the show. Like animal in his cage, right? Right. Kind of. I mean, I don't think it was completely caged, but there was definitely a framework. And, you know, about halfway through the show, it starts to elevate, which is impressive enough. He's higher up playing, and that's really cool, and okay. so he's not afraid of heights. But then the platform actually begins to spin and rotate. So he's playing upside down, right side up, upside down, right side up. That's so cool. Doing his solo. 
and it's incredible. I mean, it's absolutely flat out incredible. It doesn't break his concentration. Nothing. Not at no all. fear of heights, no issues. He's probably done it every night on the tour, and it's unbelievable. And the intro to this track and the drumming he's doing in this track really reminded me of that moment because he is a drummer that shows off and absolutely deserves to. Yeah, I'm not going to put down, you know, Mark's vocals in any way, but I do feel that in the absence of Tom, and this is just, again, this is from a, a, a second-hand, you know, observer of the band and all of the singles that I know really, really well and have heard over the years. Like, I think of Tom's voice as being that glue, like that thing that binds them together a lot. It's the, it's the identifiable factor, and in his absence, what you're left with is the drummer. The drummer is the identifiable factor. That's the one that is this, that's the glue holding this together. I mean, it's just absolute craziness in the beginning and then also in the background of these verses, uh, just craziness until the fourth beat. And then the fourth beat there, there's this one little hi-hat and the fourth beat lets that ring out. And it's, of course, a very fast-paced song, but still, for that measure long, it's it's a very intricate loop that he created, right? And it's it's like one of the only things I really want to focus on throughout most of the track. Yeah, and I would say also in this track, I'm quite partial to the lyrics here because I feel like there's a little more complexity here than the previous tracks. Actually, yeah, what goes along with No Future, probably my favorite words on the entire album. She said, Tonight's a waste of time. The next day, the sun will always rise. Every day that you waste, every promise you break, slips beneath the floor. It's a permanent state from a moment's mistake, but life's worth so much more. Mm. Like, Okay, they're getting poetic. Oh, okay. That's something that... I mean, uh, no. I, they I get would poetic. Say they get poetic on their more uh, heartfelt, uh, sadder songs. You know, things... Adam song, yeah. Man Overboard, things of that sort. Yeah, and so, like, for, for this to go in that direction makes sense. I mean, I read um, a statement from the producer that at first... When this song was titleless, they were actually afraid to put it on the record because it was way more negative than their most negative songs. Typically, even if the song they write is kind of negative, they put a positive spin on it or they make it sound a little more positive. Whereas here, this song existed in a place that was sad and okay to be sad and it wasn't looking for hope. It just kind of existed in this place. Right. Yeah, no, actually, that's a really good way to put it. And it also brings up the, the question of, you know, how I approached the lyrics before and discussed it in terms of immaturity. Obviously, this has a lot more maturity to it. And I don't, I don't mean to say, like, you know, my favorite part of them is the immature stuff. Like, I enjoy, uh, when, when they give me poetry, I, more of it, please. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying that it's, unlike many other bands where if their poetry is lax for a moment, uh, even if it was because of artistic direction, a lot of times it's like, uh, you're really kind of struggling here. I rarely feel it in the lapses uh, for Blink-182 because their artistic direction is usually purposefully to take the immature approach. In other yeah. words, yeah, lyrics usually win either, either direction they choose to take. It's especially present in the chorus. You don't know a thing about it. Hours lost to dawn from dusk. Yeah, they don't care about you. No future. The cat call. The comeback. Yeah. Uh, another little thing. That part right there. No future. I really liked it. I really liked yeah. when that show up because that was a nice little hook drawing me back into the chorus, which was a lot of energy. And at this point, I'm comfortable with Matt's vocals. Of course, I, um, you know, Mark's vocals are like a warm blanket coming home too. Like they're working really well together. And while you know. As a longtime fan, like I said earlier, I, I do miss Tom's whiny voice because I liked the character it had. Matt, I think, is doing a great job, and I think this song really gets to show it off. I think he is at his best on the album probably here, maybe in a few other moments, and they're really well integrated. I mean, when they sing together at the same time, I like the kind of 
almost dissonance they create because the vo- their voices are similar than Tom's and Mark's were, mm-hmm. but I'm still getting a little bit of a difference enough to make you go, oh, that's an interesting sound, and yeah. so it, it delivers in a way that's different, but I still like. Yeah, and I guess I even I wasn't even like as against the nanas here. Maybe yeah. just because at least they followed through on a motif in the song. I can already hear it in my head. The 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 rhythm just that like one and three and one and three and then the na 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 yeah. na 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 na. It's, see, it's hard to do this when you're not actually just like melodies are kind of the core thing here. Yeah. And you know, I said in many episodes, like melodies are some of the hardest things to describe. Sure. So when they're good, they're good, and you just have to listen. Yeah. And it's really hard to explain. But at least in this case, you know it. It has that, and uh, I guess that's enough. But it's only enough. <laughs> it's only enough for a while in this album. Sure. I think because of this track is uh, because this album is 16 tracks long. You run into the problem where you have so many catchy hooks back to back to back to back to back that there does come a time when you're just like, can we just sit? In one of these emotions for a while before you get a new one. Yeah, I, I know that. Well, is, I also, know that is also kind of antithetical to pop punk. But at the same time, I, I I feel like they have done it clearly in their previous albums. Yeah, but you know what? The problem here is 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 that they are sitting too long. I think in one kind of feeling or emotion. Whereas well, in previous right, records, um, they done sadder stuff and break it up. And here, it does feel like it's hit after hit, hook after hook. That's the same kind of. Hook. Well, you understand what I mean by by sitting with it. Yeah, it would yeah, mean yeah. to have a song that sort of brings that out and reflects yeah, so yeah. if like if your sure. if your anthem or your hook is going to you know identify it and proclaim it then one you actually feel it yeah no yeah you know? that makes sense but i would argue that in the next track home is such a lonely place they do exactly what you're asking for mm-hmm. and i just don't think it works me neither so this song is we get acoustic guitar here which is not common for blank though they've done it before but what's really strange about the acoustic guitar here in the very beginning of the song is that it feels kind of pop folk like think mumford's a little bit like not exactly but close enough um and then you know it, it just the way it progresses it's like uh, my no- exact note is sad song is sad yeah and and it's, there you go. It, it's one of those things that this feels cliche but john's right we get strings and piano in this track too like we get a lot of things that shakers we get we get a lot of things that we're asking for to be different and yet here i just don't feel like it's working for me and i and what's worse though is i'm having a steve moment where i'm so frustrated i can't actually identify what my problem is i well my I, I, I'm not going to try to stick to my notes so closely here. They almost appear bipolar, like at first glance, <laughs> because of my, my impressions with this. You know, I, I initially, all right, it's another bookstore track. I like it, really. But then in all actuality, yeah, I kind of hate it because I'm so tired of these kinds of songs. I feel like it's not what... We're starting to I'm not going to, I'm not going to like put, you know, expectations in other people's mouths, but I feel like it's not necessarily what people would go to Blink-182 for. It feels less personal here, ironically enough, considering actually they've, they've, uh, slowed the pace and are seemingly trying to make it more personal, but yet that's not how I feel it. Well, one thing that when they have done this before, uh, makes it work so well, one of my favorite tracks off of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, Stay Together for the Kids, which is literally bipolar. Yeah. Its verses are slow and very reminiscent of this. Slow, sweet, very toned down, very muffled, very just close. But the choruses are mosh pits. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they use, they go back and forth from Mark to Tom's vocals to be, you know, just, you know, nice and smooth and mellow and then abrasive and whiny. And we don't get a contrast right here. We don't get the bipolar. Oh, yeah. When the chorus steps in, it's just. It's just a little bit thicker, a little more emo, but without really expanding upon the theme. 
it's additional layers. It's all texture. This texture isn't building up to anything. Even though the chorus itself, the vocals, are going for that reach, are going for that that call out and emotional, you know, constellation up in the sky that you yeah. have to reach out to, it does not hit it. Even though I like the lyrics. Yeah, I think the struggle here for me is I'm hitting the Blink One Eight Two fatigue, but not not Blink as a band. I think Blink as a ubiquitous sound for what I remember, what I vaguely remember Blink to be, not what I actually engage in Blink to be. I think here, I you know I'm just getting tired of the the repeated hooks that drag you in. It's not even that. There's something else that I can't even uh, explain why I don't like this specifically. But all right, I like two separate things in this. I like the fact that it's an acoustic track. It just mm-hmm. it seems like that's something that should break it up a little bit, right? And then I also kind of like that phasing in the background, which we got earlier, which I liked as a tool. But then you just smack them together, and it's like they took two somewhat cliched elements and they don't cancel each other out at all that you end up with something where it's twice as cliche it's twice as cliche exactly yeah and uh, well and i think that's kind of what i was getting to and i think also here the issue is look i i say a lot and it's very corny when we're talking about tracks that have emotion that they have heart yeah that they're true to the person oh boy but you know what i really don't feel it here i feel like there is an insincerity here and i don't know if that's the case of course if they're writing from the heart so be it, but I just don't feel it in the way the lyrics are delivered or in the way the instrumentation goes. Like in previous tracks, we were either getting the quote unquote finger quotes heart from the lyrics, how they were sung or what was written, or the instrumentation. Sometimes both. Here, I don't get it anywhere. I don't get it anywhere, it's true, but especially the melodies themselves. Like, that's that finger quotes heart. You know, I said in the beginning I was starting to like it because I expected heart, and I got later on, I realized, oh, it's just finger quotes heart. Because of the fact that in these melodies, it, it just, it feels so cookie cutter in the way they're delivered. And and also, yeah, kind of the lyrics too. It's just both of them are not really working at all. Keep pushing you away, don't wait for me. There's all these, like, kind of generic lines and at establishing some kind of not quite perfect connection. I just, I, I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. And it, I expect to actually feel it within the vocals. And it feels like with he's, he's singing within a style that is already kind of pre-established as I guess the state-issued stuff. And I'm not really on board with the state-issued stuff. Like, I don't know, it's, that's, that's how it's applied. And I guess I am definitely tainted by how it's been applied by many other artists. So when they sit back into that, it's generally a negative. And that is generally not how I feel about the next track, track nine, Kings of the Weekend. I hear more blink in these vocals. Yeah, and I think it comes from, just to start off, the delivery of the verses. I feel like, so I've always been a fan of Mark's vocals because he he adds a specific personality to it. You know, like we said earlier, in the early blink stuff, both of them had very specific personalities that came through in their vocals. And here, the way he delivers the first and second verse, it's the second two lines of each verse that I like. So the first verse is, can you read my thoughts? I'm not sure what I said. And then he says, and I feel dumb and long night coming. Like it's just this kind of poetic delivery that feels, you know, sing-songy, but in a way that I really like. And and it, it... it just reminds it's me not, of Alder Blank. Poetic is not the word that I'd use. It just feels playful. Playful, yeah, And sure. there was nothing playful about the last track. Right. right. And, Maybe, the, of course, and the he does style it, of the track didn't He does it again that, for the last two lines of the second verse where he says, I feel dumb and all or nothing, and then he replaces it. So yeah. he's, you know, splitting the words coming and nothing to add the same play that he's doing with numb and dumb. And it just, 
I don't know. It, it, it just feels right for Blink, and it gets me back into them again. That said, though, the chorus of this song, they lose me again. Like, I just didn't love it as much as earlier choruses. Or maybe, uh, I will agree. Well, or, well, actually, it's not that I don't like it as much as the earlier stuff. It's ex- it's very characteristically the same as the earlier okay, stuff. Okay, I'm going to agree with that. The chorus was definitely not as good, but I was on board with it as of the verse. Yeah. It brings me back to that line in the beginning. I believe it was the New York Times quote about how they... they, they they took their playful sound and they made it more accessible. Yeah. And I don't. I think those things are fairly exclusive items. Yeah. Like you can't make something playful more accessible. It either is one or the other. Play, being playful is something that has to come from you. You can't force that on someone. It's just them being them. I mean, you could do and in other words, playful, I feel yeah. like. But I feel like they were being playful here in these yeah. verses, right? There was nothing playful the... about the last... There's nothing, There's just pure accessibility in the last track. Yeah. And you can tell when the songwriting is more in that vein. And the same is true here for these choruses. Well, it's not... Uh, it's not the it's com- Friday night. Let's lose our minds in a downward spile. Here we go. Uh, because we got no control. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's back to the Fallout Boy thing. It's bouncy. It's nice. But it's problematic. That's not the only part of the chorus, though. The chorus goes through a little bit of a shift and has, like, a cool-down period at its end. True. And the chorus continues, It's Friday nights always save my life from the worst times we ever had. Thank God for punk rock bands. And then it goes through this cool-down phase with, Until Monday morning strikes again, we are the kings of the weekend. And that's a nice transition back into the verses. Sure. It does a lot to rein in the, the high energy and the rocking out, which works thematically for the chorus but musically is a little bit uh, yeah, I, it like didn't really do much for me I, but I would I would even harp on it more that the lyrics in the chorus are terrible like I would flat out <laughs> say terrible they're just like they're just being like yeah rock well it's it's very which is what the music is saying yeah rock good like, times good times good times yeah I mean look I, I may be overreacting a little but I don't even feel that I am because again while Blink's lyrics don't have to be complicated these feel very plain and it, it feels almost phoned in and it's a bummer but because the their choruses at least the verses are strong the verses are very strong I said I liked them I just and I wanted a chorus to match and they don't it's like it felt like they worked on the verse and then the course like here's the thing here's the thing it's blink 182's uh version of rebecca black's friday (laughs) sort of except this is at least better than that but yeah i don't know hey it's the same message i'm on board with friday i'm on board with steve as far as the verse and the instrumentation is better than the previous track but i feel like the course to me is just as not good not engaging, I guess. Not good chorus. Yeah, I know. Not it's good. It's, and that's where I come from. All right, well, the drums this. are great. The drums are great. The drums are that's why I didn't even bother to, ever. I didn't bother to mention because it's yeah. just. That was, my, that was actually my first comment in yeah, the beginning, sure. but we launched into the vocals and that was our point. <laughs> but that said, I'm not. I don't. I, I don't hate this track. It's another uh, time. I don't hate this track. Home hate's is such a, a strong l- word for the album, I feel, but still. Yeah, well, I Well, I, yeah. I was borderline hating on but that's Home. Fair. That's fair. Home is such a lonely place was like, okay, that's a little bit, that's a little bit, mm, just too much. Fair point. Here, this is just one of those tracks that I'm nothing towards. I don't dislike <laughs> it. I don't worse. like it. But in this case, it's like, okay, we're just getting more pump up pop punk it's good it's going forward but it's not really showing me any new loops Mm. i'm just focus on the drums and there you go all right i'm just going to throw in the alternate perspective here it's still a catchy hook. Yep. Yeah, that's my point exactly. But it's now not I'm doing where, anything but different. But now it's Friday night. Let's lose our minds. See, we're, when we just read it, we lose that, right? But yeah. it's got the bouncy nature to it, which is still like 
See, I guess for the, for the most part, we listen to these albums, you know, often enough throughout the course of the week to probably remember most of it, but there's just some stuff that sticks more than others. Uh-huh. There are occasions, you know, admittedly on this podcast, where I think about, like, oh, I, I, can, I can read these lyrics, but I actually don't remember how that melody went. I'm not having that problem anywhere no. in this particular album. I'm just hearing it immediately because of how it was written. You, that, that's a talent. Yeah, no, of course. Right? But, but, it, but it, the, the side effect is that it makes this album more a compilation. Like, you're not yeah. getting a flow because of the aforementioned read. Like, you're not getting those tracks to just sit and I, soak it up. Yeah, I would, which, say, I would say the arc is lost here. Yes. I would agree with that. And I would say that the theme is very tight. You know, obviously, this whole album is about moving on in yeah. the future because that's what this band is trying to do. But, you know, I would say that... Remember I mentioned earlier that I was going through a little bit of Blink fatigue just based on their sound that's kind of becoming ubiquitous on the album? Uh-huh. I felt it a little here. In the next track, Teenage Satellites, is actually where it absolutely hit me because for me, this song, and it, it, it'll hammer home your point about how it feels kind of like a compilation, I feel like track 10 could have gone anywhere in the beginning of the album. This sounds like several songs from the earlier part of the record. And even to kind of meld John and Steve together for a moment, while I'm feeling this, this thing that Steve is saying, also I kind of feel what John's saying. I don't know that I hate track 10, but I may nothing it because it's not any different, and the fatigue is really starting to set yeah, in. Yeah, Teenage Satellites is a hard one to put into words. I mean, all right, it goes without saying, very pop-friendly. That is so many tracks on this album. Um, I guess it kind of is the... Uh, the slow, pretty part. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it. it the, the what I like about the track, at least, that's kind of redeeming for it me. It has a slow, pretty part. Is, yeah. Excuse me. And that the drums here are not just all over the place, show offy the whole track. There are drum flares here. You know, he keeps he keeps the the song tight in this track, Travis. But he does have these moments where he shows off and then jumps back in line. But which okay, is, the line that he sets is is. is not just dun, dun, no, of course not. Dun, dun, but I'm saying it's very complicated. We're talking to begin about with. Travis here. That's a given. I'm just saying he he steps outside himself uh, more so just in moments here. So you get moments to latch out to in the song. But that said, if you could ask me to repeat what those moments were, I couldn't. I I, I just it didn't stick because it, rem, it it fell into the form of the album. Well, it, nah, there was something that did st- uh, stick out here for me, and that was that it was a little more texture-heavy than a lot of the other songs, but I think that might be to its detriment. See, I'm, I'm getting in my head of myself a little bit, but I felt like the next track was more texture-heavy than this. But I see what you're saying. This kind of leads to that. Yeah, the texture here, I think, was at uh, the detriment to the melody. What, what, what's going on, the little spurts that show up, definitely added an idea here and there mm-hmm. but it wasn't fleshed out i wanted them to run with these ideas of different you know different beats different just chord progressions and stuff like that when they show up ooh ah but nothing happens with them so that just leaves me feeling disappointed i have a bit of a question mark here um Teenage Satellites, is the point here a complete nostalgia trip down the road of the times in which you were a teenager, as if he's pretending now that he's back in teenage land, and he's calling himself We're Teenage Satellites, singing through that lens, or are we all teenage satellites? Are we all teenage satellites at any age? I mean, I feel like it's a little of both. The way the lyrics are delivered, oh, it's in the... I know, <laughs> I know. I just slipped right through. Um, you know, I, I, but sincerely, I do feel this way. I think that because it's written in the present, he's putting himself in the moment, 
but if you're singing along and you are in the moment, it can it could be either or. I think it's perspective here is if what you're I'm trying a teenager, to say. Yeah, there's yeah also, but that's what I'm saying. There's also the fact this is a fairly heavy imagery idea of there's the a, teammates of the teenage satellites. It's which, very descriptive. Which honestly. We burn bright. What's the burn bright? It's just another metaphor for that, you know, burn bright. But, but, and here's my point. Like, the idea of the teenage satellites, they're always orbiting one another. They're always in sync, caught in each other's gravity. I mean, you can go that route, and they do go with it. They do flow with it. They do have the descriptors there to really promote that idea. Let's read. Let's run away. Let's go and waste another year. Let's spin apart while racing through the atmosphere. We tumble through the night. We burn so bright. We're teenage satellites. I do like the imagery of, you know, where they occasionally, yeah, they come in contact and then they spin apart. As in the kind, the idea of, a, of a, let's say, a pair of people who are really close at various different times in their lives, yeah. but they're all traveling at different speeds through the atmosphere. Some are geocentric, some well, are not. <laughs> well, and also this idea of a satellite, not in the term of like an actual man-made satellite, but as in satellites like... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, Captain Science, as I'll call you in no this moment. Oh, that, please, that, no. That, no, I cannot take that uh, credit at That all. meteorites are considered satellites. Like, they can be considered... No. No, or, no. no because they have terminal trajectories. Oh, they, they do. Okay. Satellites. So yeah. is it comets? They're not... Is it comets that are considered satellites? Uh, no. Well, to some degree, right. depending they're upon extremely they're... elliptical satellites as far as the sun is concerned, sure. but they go way out by the Oort cloud, okay. which means, you know, they're so... But yeah, they're satellites. I, I want, I want to... I want orbits I guess the point I'm trying to make in my terrible interpretation of science is that... Uh, this feels natural. It doesn't feel man-made, and so I think it's it's more in line to what the galaxy has to offer from a natural, spacey feel than man-made, manufactured. Is what I'm saying, I guess, in a roundabout way. Yeah, no. Lyric-wise, they didn't come up with, like these are these lyrics are far more inventive than the last two tracks. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree with me, <laughs> and I agree with you too. <laughs> That's what I said there. All right, let's move on to track eleven, "Left Alone." And so this is what I was saying earlier during the last track when John was talking about atmosphere and kind of world building. This song, the synthy tone to this song from the moment it starts, is something we've not really heard yet, and adds an atmosphere, an ambiance, if you will. I will from the beginning. And I like that. I like sitting in this. This is where we're getting back to something that Blink did on the later records that I cited, where they create this kind of environment that you get to sit in for a minute as they do something a little different than just specifically pop punk yeah. tropes. The one thing that is really stand out here, I guess, in this slightly more atmospheric track than most, is you have that seesawing synth screeching effect mm-hmm. in the background. Um, and then later, when it gets to the second stanza of the verse, can you remember, you remember the last time, that little, that it actually has the same rhythmic cadence of the screeching effect, so it has the same rhythm, it's kind of carrying that motif over, and I really enjoyed that, as far as making the verse just a little bit more colorful as it progresses. It's not the same exact verse, they develop it, before we finally get the pre-chorus, which is another standard one-line pre-chorus, which we've had all over this album. Are we halfway gone, or halfway there? And the trail off with the low key, boom, chorus, lots of chorus, heavy chorus. They didn't know you to go this heavy because I was really enjoying everything up until the chorus. The complications there that I like with these kind of belty ideas, but I don't feel like it needed it. That's 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 the big quick issue I got there. Really, but it's um. It's something. Well, for that. Well, we go back. To, we go back to that wall of sound thing that John referred to earlier for that chorus, and I feel like the verse was building something a little different. Also, like I liked the harmonies 
in this song, but I felt like the chorus loses some of the impact. Uh, well, actually, I would even argue it's the opposite. It tries to be too much impact. Oh, maybe. I think sure. that's where I guess we're... I'm looking at something different for to impact me. You yes. know, whereas I'm being affected. Being soft and mellow. Yeah. It's just not in the cards right now. Yeah, I guess so. Which is what we're kind of led to believe with everything else. So when we get the lines, left alone, we're only halfway home, sink like stones, fall into the unknown, that could be really deep when phrased in one way, but here it's phrased with... Yelling, belting, like I mean, reaching. I don't know. Ideas. It doesn't lose everything. Yeah, I just I, yeah. feel like it's not. Oh, I like the words. The presentation's hurting. But that's what I'm saying. I don't the think presentation the presentation wasn't as bad. I don't yeah, think. yeah. I think it's once I heard that chorus, it kind of pulled me in. But like, I don't feel as left out of it as you do. I think that there's some of the emotion still there. It's just I wanted it to go maybe in a very different direction. I'll tell you where I left, and that was later on, where they just really borrow one line from the chorus, and that was the we're left alone amidst a wall of whoa-oh-ohs in the yeah. background. That's that what, is that where they the lost me. That was the nail in the coffin yeah. for me. Up until that agree. point, yeah. I was still going, okay, it's just another track that we've gotten, but that was just a little bit too much. Yeah. I mean, I appreciated that opening little bit of the, the synth thing, and I appreciated mm-hmm. that motif, but that really wasn't a... a like, also the in motif- general, you still have to talk about this album in two senses, how hooky it is and how great Travis is. <laughs> well, that- I feel like also that that synth didn't really stick around. Like, it was in the background for the first verse, but I feel like after that it kind of fell into the background. Whether it was still there or not, you couldn't really hear it anymore, and so yeah. it lost that impact also. I mean, I wanted to feel this a little more. He's talking a song about being feeling left alone, but also interesting, feeling left alone to wonder. You know, the it idea was of very just introspective. Introspective in a way, and I yeah. guess I always want them to. If you if we really feel that way, I always want them to take it a little bit further. Yeah. Um. So this is the case where the punk is the problem. I go back to the genre being the problem for me in this case. Right. Fallacy aside, that is the problem here because it keeps it too constrained. I wish it would just unleash in moments like this yeah. and make me really feel like he is left alone like in a void i feel in general no void here just a a hint at being a little less impactful or a little less overbearing than some of the other tracks uh still very hooky track 12 rabbit hole i'm gonna make a little bit of a bold statement and rabbit hole to me is the quote all the small things of the album it's got the, the the sort of lyrics i really enjoyed from all the small things it's got a very standard progression for you know just music and pop punk but it's got distinct parts to it i feel like there's a solid flow throughout this track and it's just cheeky enough just funny enough for me to really stay on board with it but i would argue that uh, all the small things was the all the small things that i needed like now i like all the small things because of the nostalgia and because it's a sweet song and i have that song this song doesn't usurp it it doesn't do something different from it. So if I had to choose, I would just listen to all the small things again. And that's where I find some conflict here because now I'm really fatigued with Blake. Well, first things first. I actually have to really compliment on the lyrics. I'm with John in terms of having the lyrics that I really wanted. In fact, out of, uh, I guess, some of the lines in the last track the the you know left alone to wonder and we really didn't get too far along with that train of thought we this really does get expand into on that. here yeah. Yeah. dear right. head shut up i can't listen no more it's late sh- shut up is one night too much to ask for you are a haunted house you're superstitious you are the coldest stone carved marble faces i won't fall down that fucking rabbit hole i'm barely standing on the ground 
All the hints that you leave are too hard to believe at all. I won't fall down that fucking rabbit hole with you, with you, with you again. With, with interesting, because actually there's a little bit of a duality there between fall down the rabbit hole with you, with your mind, yeah. but of course it concerns a certain someone. But that's interesting, he's addressing his head, he's addressing his mind in the beginning because he can't stop thinking about that one thing. You can't have just one night to yourself without the brain chattering away, which is very relatable. Right. I will say that the big difference is while All the Small Things was a sweet song, this is very much an introspective not sweet song. It's a lot harsher, and it's got different content specifically. Oh, yeah. Musically, it's fast-paced and fun and stuff. <laughs> right, you know, like a lot of their songs. Which but. I, well, I mean, you could argue that that relates in terms of simply, I guess, mimicking the chatter. Sure. The brain chatter, but, you know, content-wise... I mean, I, I also... The rabbit hole feels like something a little more dire, a little more serious. Right. So I, I feel like I didn't want that in the lyrics. I mean, I, I mean, I wanted more of that, something more serious than what I got. Yeah, I, I mean, I will agree that also that the lyrics are on point here. I just, instrumentally, I think I'm leaning towards Steve. I just don't get the same thing. And again, tonally, it's sounding like... It's four hooks. Yeah, it's, it's I'm tired of hooks. I need... Yeah, but I think that's why I kind of like it. For mm. me, they just meshed well because the hooks seem to be reminiscent of one another. The verse, the pre-chorus, the main chorus, and then the cool down end no, that's of the true. chorus. Like, All components of the song have a kind of hooky quality to them. And yeah. it's it's like, it's it's candy. It's too freaking sweet for me to by, not yeah, enjoy. Yeah, by some measures, that's, that's, that's good stuff, right? By some measures, wouldn't that be great songwriting? Like, that's a feat of... Uh, of something, <laughs> I guess. Of, of but pop this, mastery. But the even like the fact that the bridge, the of with you, with you, with you again. That bridge is just. It's even repeated because that's how hooky it is. It needs to be done more than with once. You, it just works. I I I I don't know why, but this seems to be like a great personification for me for what pop punk. Was maybe not is, but was. And I think that's my problem. Is this like I said? But that's I, I know I, we're approaching it from the opposite side. It's your problem. It's my solution yeah. to a lot of the problems yeah. that I've gotten so far. No, no, and this, I and I get that we have the same exact explanation. But yeah, you it means for you something. It's a negative, but for me, it's a positive. Yeah, and Steve, it seems like somewhere in the middle. <laughs> hey, what can I say? <laughs> All right, let's go to Track San Diego. Dean, San Diego. Um, so. Yeah, okay. So here's my thing about San Diego is we, we, we're we going back to the heart that I felt like we were missing in the last few tracks, but this one still goes through a predictable flow of a song. It goes back to the same heart that we got back in Home is Such a Lonely Place. Yeah. You know, which was not that problematic. Long ago. Yeah. You know, it's kind of what I wanted on some level as far as the album is concerned. It breaks it up. It's a little softer, but it is still kind of painfully predictable. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard to even at this point pick out individuality for this song. Like, in this song, Travis is being Travis... You know, Mark is being Mark and Matt is being Matt, as they had been on the whole record. They're not stepping forward, really. They're not, you know, flaring or showing off. And so here, I'm just kind of along for the ride, and I think it's okay. All right, let me step in here. Just just to say that I think, all right, we, we say these things, all right, it's painfully predictable. In some sense, we're speaking in generalities also. Yes. Like, we know that in terms of just because of the pop structure that we've all cited is generally not being a good thing. We like when things, you know, evolve in a certain way. And yet, I also said, as a disclaimer, in the very beginning, I said, well, that's not really their MO to leave pop punk, although you still feel that they kind of really pushed the boundary or were the edge of that box in neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, 
Well, here's the thing. I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we said before it's because they're doing too many hooks back to back. Well, this is a line from Amadeus. I think I may have said this once before on the on the uh, podcast. It was concerning something completely different. That uh, the Emperor of Austria says to Mozart after you know one of his his major pieces are finished because when the Emperor's watching, you know everyone's looking to see the Emperor's opinion, and he says, "Oh, I love it. What was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Seems to be mostly positive praise. It's one thing. It seems there's too many notes, you know, and and." And they're like, what? Uh, too many notes? Well, you, you see, you know, there are only so many notes that uh, that someone can process in the course of an evening, and just you know, um, cut a few of them, <laughs> as if that was the answer. Which, of course, right. it's like this is Mozart. Yeah, there's gonna be notes. Well, it raises a question: Can we apply the same thing to to this? It's Blink. There's gonna be hooks. But can there be too many hooks? Can there be too many? Can there be too many hooks? Is I mean, that ex- exactly the thing. Yeah, I like mean, that would almost ring as a defense, really. I mean, maybe it's, I think that people go to Mozart for those crazy runs. No, you know? I mean, I think it's an important question to pose, and we can address it here specifically. Not but always, I think, but <laughs> but well, no, I think it's something worth discussing. But but moving on, going back to Blink specifically, and not just talking about too many hooks in general. I feel like this song, you know. If it was, it, it, this song also perpetuates a problem Steve mentioned earlier about how there's barely any arc. This could have gone anywhere on the album. I don't specifically feel like this belongs. I agree. I was actually running a little game where I was trying to picture this in various places, and I was like, "Oh, this would make such a great like post intro track." Yeah. You know, this would easily just usurp track two, and I wouldn't really have thought anything of it at the time. It doesn't really seem like we're building, except in terms of theme, lyrical theme, perhaps. Yeah. And and remember, when I say that there's too many hooks here, it doesn't matter the fact that this was started out as a little softer, more inward track because lyrically it's moving in that direction it's just musically that still means you get the same level of hooks it's still going to be just as catchy but this is the stuff he's talking about he's verse one sometimes i wonder where our lives go and question who we used to be sometimes i feel like i'm the oxygen between the cigarette and the gasoline which i love that line pre-chorus i can't sleep because what if i dream of course, of going back to San Diego. We bought a one-way ticket so we can go see The Cure and listen to our favorite songs in the parking lot and think of every person I ever lost in San Diego. Remember a couple weeks ago uh, in in uh, 201, I believe, episode 201, we had Red Hot Chili Peppers and we were discussing the track Detroit. It was all about Detroit and his connection, both positive and negative, to mm-hmm. that city. This is what this track means to me or means to them, I imagine, in context of the album. And it is in this sense that I feel we have been building. It's just that the music sometimes obscures that. Yeah. No, I mean, I would say that the theme is pretty solid here as far as a band that's growing and trying to change. I just don't get it musically or, you know, emotionally completely. You know, I get it a little, but it's definitely not as strong as some other albums that show growth and progression and change for a band. I just, I feel it in the lyrics when I read them and sometimes when I hear them, but musically I don't, I I don't really get it. It's kind of a mishmash. John? I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I guess it's hard to say anything more than that, though. Yeah. The, honestly, the chorus was... I was very accepting of it. I liked flowing along to it. It did feel like it had a little bit more flow instead of just jump bump it energy. This is good. And like you say, you could make it track two, track three. But then again, we were grooving along and really enjoying the early tracks for exactly the same exact reasons. We're harping on this track. So I can't really detract it for that. I'll just say it's no different. So that's the problem. And 
it's not a huge problem for me because it's still something to groove along to and enjoy and get drunk and scream out the incoherent lyrics because you can't follow along that well because you're drunk. <laughs> hey, that's cool. Yeah, oh, that's right. cool. I mean, uh, you know, a couple sheets to the wind, who's going to care, really? You're going to well, sing along. That's the whole that's, point. That's I true. think that might be the core of this album. You can sing along to all of it. Well, You can, can enjoy it. And it is always endearing. Yeah. I guess coming from a place of a person who doesn't drink anymore, I guess that's lost on me. Yeah, well, we'll get you some whiskey. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, 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 I understand where John's coming from. I just feel like... I don't know. Let's go into the next track. I think I'll save my, my further thoughts for my wrap-up. Fair but enough. let's move on to The Only Thing That Matters. Track and 14. the one thing I'll say straight up of this song is it does have a harsher edge, a more punk edge that reminds me of their very early albums. There's a, a, a rawness to this track in its instrumentation that wasn't really present anywhere else on the record, so that was at least yeah, I'm refreshing. Sorry. This is the very fast-paced track that is very fast and fun and stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's their way of saying I love you. Right. Forcefully. <laughs> with speed. In two minutes or less. Thanks, which Jeremy actually Clarkson. happens to be less than two minutes. But yeah, no, it's one of those, yeah, let me say why you're so awesome. Here we go. I may be overlooking uh, the fact that maybe they've been doing this more on this record, but there, is there the other, uh, the new instrumentalist, he also sings, correct? Yes. yes. Back right. and, and is back now and replacing what Tom used to do. So correct. now they do back and forth. And I noticed that very distinctly in this case, we had a first voice in the first verse, uh, uh, the first stanza of the first verse, rather. Where the hell did you come from? Outer space or heaven above? Short of breath, my long-lost love, I can't believe my eyes. Are you for real? Second voice, second stanza. My life before was such a mess. There's no use dwelling on the past. My broken heart was in a cast. Then you showed up, and it began to heal. And why did it begin to heal? Because title of the track, chorus. You're the only thing that matters, because you're the only thing that's real, because you're the only thing I'll never let go. You're the only thing I feel. I mean, Isn't that sweet? I mean, I, I, I like the lyrics here. Again, there's no shortage of lyrics to like with Blink. I just, I've had enough. I want... Oh, but I beg to differ a little bit, because then verse 2, they actually come back with a different melody, and I believe this wasn't really considered a bridge. It was more of a oh, verse yeah, you're 2. Right, yes. Someday yeah. you'll come back to me, and I'll say something bitterly. Uh, continues, and you'll go racing toward the kitchen, grab a knife, erase my vision, take a flat-screen television, and my paintings of Marilyn Manson. It, it's... Ugh. I mean, the two sides of it is actually interesting. For the structure the of the song, is showing, like, the good, and then, of course, the bad, if the relationship yeah. goes bad. And, you know, I actually did like this song, but it's coming towards the end of an album that, again, I, I had a lot of issues with the latter half of this record. It's always a pain when, like, the theme starts coming out more and more towards the end of the album, which is undoubtedly planned, because yeah. they want you to start realizing some of the sentiments that were kind of said a little more generally and maybe dysfunctionally in the beginning, um, uh, in a... Which is, I guess, the side effect of which is that they may be a little bit more generic. Yeah. But then when the music fails to live up to that, yeah. you run into the problem of it just masking that theme. And then you're kind of, like, close-minded to it a little bit. I'm just trying to address that, but I'm with you. Like, yeah. I get that the song didn't do much for me. Except maybe the fast-paced and fun and stuff. In which case, if you just view it through that lens and you're not looking at any of the things, then you're just going to rock out to it and that's okay. Yeah, that's all I you'll mean, do. That's tr- all you'll do. End of story. Truthfully, I like that this song has an edge. We complained a lot on this record that the edge was missing, and at least here it's showing up in a different way, and I was okay with that. I guess just on the whole, still on the downward side of the record for me. Let's move on to the title track of the record, California, track 15. Um, we get some more synth here, this kind of warbly intro that, you know, adds color like we've talked about. But where's the punk? Yeah, the, so that's the problem is once we get, once this 
synth warble kind of fades into the instrumentation, we're getting a reflective, uh, emotional, you Pop know, song. acceptance song that's, you know, th essentially the absolute culmination of what this record's supposed to be theme-wise, but in a traditional structure that feels stronger in the pop vein. See, we're going back to the same phrases, but I'm yeah. actually going to play devil's advocate here. I think this track had a certain indescribable beauty. I'm not I'm not sure if I can really pinpoint that, okay. but it sounded distinctly different from many other things on this well, record. Well, I, I think yes. John hit the nail on the head off the air when he said it felt true pop. It didn't feel as punk. Like pop. and then by, by 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 true pop, I mean like 2000s Backstreet Boys pop. Like, we're talking boy core. band pop. I mean, I think there's still a little bit of a punk edge here, but... It I shows up later. It does actually show up in a later chorus when guitars do start riffing. Yeah. But for the most part, it's nice and easygoing and is sentimental. And it's similar to the San Diego thing. The, the way in which he kind of reminisced, but in the case of San Diego, it seemed to be really peppered with some bad memories. This time, it's far more glowing. Yeah. More general about California. More just about, I guess, well, the catch-all term for all the places that he's been. That's generally the place that he's from. Um, I believe he actually grew up outside of San Diego, so he has connections with various other places. We had Los Angeles earlier. And, of course, yeah, it is the title track of the album. So the album's called California. It, it's where it all comes back to at the end. And this is far more glowing. Just jump ahead to the chorus. Hey, here's to you, California. Beautiful haze of suburbia. Living in the perfect weather. Spending time inside together. Hey, here's to you, California. Well, also, I, well, I also just side note. I like that spending time inside together just after you comment on the perfect weather. Yeah, just the, the typical of how we always just like kind of ignore the beauty of our surroundings. Sure. I mean, I think that this song thematically is a great kind of return to home base, but also moving forward. It's it's that positive reflection on a situation that could have been more negative, and that's the whole point of this record. Hell, this is a band that broke up lost a member, and now has a new member. That's obviously what this is going to be about. They broke up like twice, too. Right. Just once. It was but, like the, twice. but this is the first time that they're moving forward with a new member. And I feel like they didn't do the Chili Peppers thing where John Frusciante came and went and came and went and then went again. And, you know, this is, he. they broke up, but they didn't put, do anything. And then they got back together, did a thing, and then he left. I just, I don't know. I, I get it from a thematic point of view. I, I'll give it points for that. They're pushing forward. They're doing their thing. And I, I appreciate that, especially as a fan. But I just don't get the sentiment that strong in the song in a place where I can get invested. I, I, because, again, it, 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 do, it doesn't necessarily not feel like Blink, but it does not rein me in as much as I'd like it to. I think that, though, reining yourself in, getting invested, I don't think that's ever really been the point of Blink. Not not really. Mm. I think it's more just a superficial way of getting no. out of motions. That's always been what Blink seemed like to me. I would absolutely nice disagree in their mo more emotional songs. Their motion more emotional. Those songs. didn't show up on this album. I wouldn't even. Yeah. I wouldn't consider California. No, one I of know. Those songs. But that's what I'm saying. I think the older stuff they did rein you in in moments to kind of help facilitate the rest of it. Here, that's the exact point, John. The 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 slow stuff and the heartfelt stuff doesn't really pull you in and pull you through. The stuff that feels more generic and, and I think that's where I'm struggling here especially it becomes apparent in this song and I think that the next track Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> is the exact reason why that's just not gonna happen because we get 30 seconds of rock out and then the words there's something about you that I can't quite put my finger in 
And that's 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 them. They're, they're ending on a joke here. They're not trying to be, you know, Super heartfelt serious, and everything yeah. like that. They end us on a joke and a cheeky joke and kind of, oh, if you if you hear if you hear that one word in finger in, yeah, okay, it's a, it's a sex joke. Rhapsody. It's no, a sex joke. But you know, it's a brohemian rhapsody. In other, I I took it very plainly as you know it's his little ode to a friend either a friend or a bygone friend or somebody he was close with well uh you know that's about as close as friends get right mm-hmm. <laughs> not quite the second thing yeah just quick rock out boom. It's a, yeah it's a typical all right but it's a tagline hey, it's a blank and joke. that's but that's what i'm saying like i don't think we really with this final piece i don't think we were ever meant to truly get sucked in with the Adam song, quote unquote, the 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 piece that is just emotional and in a lot of ways devastating for them to produce. And I would argue that, you know, even the funnier stuff like on the Mark Tom and Travis show would still pull you in, even with the jokes. They were still very focused emotional moments. But anyway, you know, I, I'll I'll save the rest of how I feel about that for my wrap up. I'm gonna lead us off. And I'm going to start by talking about something completely different. One of my favorite series of movies, uh, when I was really into Blink-182, was American Pie. And there's a very specific reason for that. It was a funny, great, romantic comedy all about sex and drugs and things like that, which was perfect for... Coming-of-age movie. But but it had boobs. (laughs) They were great for that. But it was also, at its core, like a really well-written comedy. And the follow-ups were, in a lot of ways, what happened with me and Blink. The first one was Dude Ranch. It was a core great comedy. And they followed it up with two great heavy hitters, uh, which would be Enema and Take Off Your Jacket or, you know, American Pie 2 and American Wedding, which I thought were great ways to... Like culminate the experiences that were going on right there. And then there was the side projects and odd little things that had their own merits. And we finally left on the fourth one, the fourth actual American Pie, American Reunion. That was a real disappointment because they kept going back to the old jokes. And they kept bringing up all the old lines and the old themes and really didn't create anything new. But I still enjoyed it. It was still just like a... A nostalgia trip. Well, California is the same exact darn thing. It's nothing new. We're getting absolutely no new ideas here from Blink. I'm okay with this because it's still enjoyable. It's still inviting and cheeky and has its merits. It's still got the solid drums and the three-chord progression of the bass and the, you know, kind of quirky lyrics that still try to touch upon something that's deeper. That, that is, you know, more than just the face value laughs. So for that, I enjoyed it. But I don't really feel like it, it adds anything to its genre or to the discography. I think it's more of a great reintroduction to the band or, or introducing a new generation to the band. Like, hey, here, kids. There. There's something. And that's what they set out to do. Or at least that's what the producer claims they set out to do. So they succeeded in exactly what they set out to do. But the bar for me was set kind of low. And uh, I don't feel like they really surpassed it. So for making a very solid pop punk record, 3.6. Hmm. I wasn't crazy about the American Pie series. I don't know why I'm leading off with what you leaded off with. <laughs> well, it, they, they were very slapsticky too. 
Don't forget that. Yeah, it's slapstick. And I like slapstick. Well, they slapstick. were made for a generation and a time and an age, and you were a little younger. Yeah, okay, let me get to the point. Okay, okay. Jeez. Jeez. I guess it, yeah, it's, it's made for a generation. If I were to compare it against something, it's not because I didn't like, you know, American Pie because, you know, I was a, a prude of the times. Like, I liked Clerks, which had just about the same level of raunchiness in it, and I thought it was just a better written film because I was more monologue-based, you know, and it was a lot less slapstick-based. I guess that's why I liked Clerks. And yet, I would say that the soundtrack to American Pie was probably a lot better than the soundtrack to Clerks. Even though the soundtrack to Clerks, it fits in an environment. And this is where my point is kind of coming back to. The environment is the nostalgia. and But it's so general. It, if you're going through it with a fine-tooth comb, then environment is not enough. Although I do seem to be having kind of a reverse reaction with this. Whereas, you know, a lot of people um, my age, you know, who were really obsessed with that stuff in that era, they kind of, I guess, grew out of it. Or at least, you know, maybe they still have the nostalgia, but they grew into other things for sure. They didn't mm-hmm. just stay in that. Most of them. Most of them. But um, but for me, I guess it was more of the reverse. It was like I was able to insert nostalgia where there was none because I know that it was characteristic of a certain time, even though it wasn't my thing at the time. I've grown to a point where I can see the appeal. I can, I can just... I can have a sense of uh, self-awareness enough to place myself in their shoes given the time, plus also remembering a lot of my friends. So nostalgia is kind of a big deal with this record, I guess, but it's just not the end of the story. I do go through things with a fine-tooth comb. It's just what I do. It's kind of what Crash Chords is about, which means, of course, referencing the nostalgia stuff, but it also means referencing everything else. And the everything else is the music, the songwriting which are not all bad. Actually, a lot of the core songwriting, a lot of the, the, we already said, the hook writing is kind of phenomenal. Um, And then the drums are phenomenal. It's just everything else. That's the stuff that's going to keep this back. It's from stuff that's going to keep this from entering four territory because really, I guess, a lot of the jokes surrounding the release of this album are are pretty true. Like the what year is it jokes, you know? Like Blink is at the top of the charts. What? What? Um, It does kind of, call to mind like what a crazy nostalgic time we're in and you might say i'm i guess in general tired of the nostalgia like i go through this down this road all the time where i'm like i see the point i see the point i actually understand where this is coming from and i'm doing so much trying to place myself in the shoes of these fans and i guess at the end of the day i have to say i am who i am and this is not the stuff that I was into then. It's still not the stuff that I was into. And I think to persist with it without advancing it is, is I guess, my core problem. But I, I know that nostalgia is why this did go to the top of the charts. Yeah, but on, on, on a Steve level, this is a feel-good album for me. That's about it. And that, that's never gonna ju- that's never gonna go into four territory. I, there needs to be some intellectual basis for me putting it there. Uh, so yeah, I don't think I would feel good despite it being a feel good album i don't think i'd feel good listening to this album on my own i feel deeply unfulfilled given everything else though i'm in the threes for solid hook writing it's a 3.5 but i can't put it above that all right this is going to be more complicated for me um look I, I i had almost kind of forgotten how attached i was to this band until i picked this album to review um they were kind of integral to my development as like a, a preteen and teenager. Like I grew up listening to this band. They aren't my favorite band of all time. They're up there, but 
after listening to this album and then revisiting the later two records, um, the self-titled and Neighborhoods, I realized they were kind of evolving into something that I was okay with. Kind of what Green Day was sort of doing with Amer- with uh, American Idiot and then didn't. But for me, I just, you know, I wanted that evolution to continue. And they, you know, the producers said very specifically they wanted to create something accessible to kind of reintroduce the band. And from a marketing perspective, I get that. I totally get that. In an industry where it's so much harder to make money making music, I get that. You want to market yourself and go for it. And it's hard to disrespect that. However, as a fan of the band, you know, I was on board for the first half of the record. I was getting stuff that was very familiar to the heyday nostalgia of this band. But when I went back and familiarized myself with the records that I really enjoyed as they evolved, I realized I'm not happy with that. That would be just settling. And it's reminiscent of what we experienced with Green Day's trilogy. You know, they kind of just settled. They didn't actually, it didn't feel like they were trying to evolve like they had been previously. I'm getting that here. Now, what John and Steve both said, essentially, in not so many words, is that this is catchy as fuck, and it's hard not, it's hard to deny that. And, you know, I have to give it points for that. You know, I'm tapping along to these songs, I'm nodding my head to these songs, but the core of it, at the heart of it, I wanted more. I wanted the growth that was coming from the band when Tom was still in it. Now, that could still come. They could do that in a record after this. Now that Blink is back, if they don't go on another long hiatus and they put out another record in a few years, they could actually make that evolution and start to experiment again. Because maybe they wanted to write from a comfortable place because it was new and it was too much change. And they didn't want to change too much sound-wise with the shakeup of the band's lineup. I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing. But that hurts the record for me. I mean, you know, I don't see how this is really that much better than the Fall Out Boy record other than the talent. You know, the raw talent of Travis and even the talent of Mark and Matt does put it above that. I think they are better musicians. But I just don't get much more than this being a pop punk record that is just kind of of a bygone time. Um, there's some heart here, but, you know, you got to read for a lot of it. You know, theme, it's tight. This is an album about moving on and growing, but also reflecting on what was. And I get that, but I am totally hurting it for ARC. This This album could be in any order, except for the intro, any absolute order. I don't really get a sense of needing to go from one song to another. And Blink kind of always had a nice flow in their albums. You know, I... eh. I don't agree. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> you know, I okay, let me rephrase it. In the later albums, they had a very strong flow that After, felt very Take off your pants and jacket and further then I agree. Yeah. Like, Not knowing the comparison at all from my perspective, it was still a bad arc. Yeah. Just objectively for yeah, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I would agree with John. The earlier albums were very much like compilations, but the growth that I latched onto there was arc that was pretty distinct. And so I'm 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 not tanking the record because again it's not bad, but I feel like there being so many freaking hooks hurt this record for me. And you guys might not agree, and I get that, but this is a three point two five. It's barely. That's tanking. Well, from what I wanted it to be and where I expected it to go. Oh, I was hoping for another tanking. red hot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it just wasn't. It, <laughs> you know, it 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 wasn't. It wasn't because. You know, they're bad musicians. It's because they're okay to good musicians that did something average 
that makes it just a little under. If we're saying 3.5 is average, it's just a little below average for me because I'm not going to go back to this album. I'm going to go back to the albums that came before it because I latched onto those more. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to ignore the discography for me here. And I know that's kind of <laughs> letting personal taste infl- you know, interfere, but that's just where I'm at. Yeah, we say that three is our average, but let's be honest, it's, it's three point. No, three. I would consider three my average. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, okay, so then it's yeah, a little above average. You know what? It, then things get pretty muddy in the threes. Right, yeah, and know you know that. what? If three is average, then it's a little above average in the sense that yes, all the hooks are tight and well done. All right. Well, I just want to throw in one more postscript based on something John just said. You know, he wanted another Red Hot. He wanted another Red Hot Chili Peppers in terms of like oh, an, an album that maintains their their prior ability and even exceeds it a little bit and just yeah. just. just raises that bar in some sense um you know even if it's not like so obvious you could just tell that they're not being lax on anything no um and i think the the issue may be the genre there i think the genre is important because if you see pop punk as eternal then this album i think is gonna be fine for you yeah no you're right right funk is eternal for me which is why that album was just more than fine sure. for me, Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Um, but yeah, this uh, I don't. I believe that pop punk is is a rapidly evolving beast, and uh, judging from this album, it, it wouldn't seem to have stepped anywhere. You know, since the early two thousands. Yeah, I want to go back to something that Steve brought up while we were reviewing this record, though. The idea that there could be too many hooks on this record. Too many hooks. Yeah. <laughs> It's and and I want to focus on hooks because we haven't really spoken about hooks specifically, you know, as a topic. But I, I want to address that. I think could could too many hooks be a problem with a record? Just like too many of anything. Like, do you think oversaturation in hooks in a record can really ruin it? Like, if there were less hooks on this record, do you think it would have been better? All right. Well, let's let's put. Um. Okay. Interesting. Because you you went on the rant about their goal. Yeah. I went in the very beginning. I went on the rant about their goal. It's 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 a problematic goal. Yeah. You know, to write for the ADD generation. In which case, of course. I guess they succeeded, right? That's true. If they have too many hooks on the album, then that's exactly what they're writing for. That's exactly what they're writing for, and then they did succeed. They wrote multiple things in a row that can each be sung along to by just taking really a couple lines. In other words, you don't really have to employ a lot of memorization from this album. You don't have to be listening to it ad nauseum just to get it in your head. Really, only have to be listening to it once to get it in your head. And that is uh, pure radio play. Yeah. So, yeah, on that note, they succeeded. But you're asking me, what do I think? Yeah. What does the group here think? And, of course, we'd love to know uh, what you think, listeners, in the comments. Um, But, yeah, I, I, in general, choruses were never really my thing. They never were. Like, I've always been more about the moments. I've said that from the beginning of this series. I like things that they do over the course, like long builds, long culminations. I I always thought it was a cheap shot to just throw you the chorus right up front. You know, you had that... uh, that phrase that you threw around for a lot of these episodes where it's like, well, they just they, they hit the ground running with this episode, yeah. right? And they just go for it. This is the chorus right up front. You just stop and go. But it's, um, they, I don't know if that, I don't know if I ever liked that. <laughs> it's not me. That's, that's not what I go into. Because then where can you go from there is the big question. Right. And if you start kept, at the top, you can only go down. That kept being the question mark here. Like, where do you go from all of those climaxes? Except down, like, it does give you the opportunity to mellow out. And yeah. that becomes shocking in its own way 
it's just then the question is, well, they never really did that here. They never went all the way down right. to even give you that disparity. But They the, tried, but we had big issues True, with it. but we just did open a little hypothetical. Like, if you did that, would that be a good album? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, Thriller. Um, yeah, okay. Thriller. Yeah, all right. It, uh, Especially be the core of Sort thriller, of a medium level, it. like... No, but Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, those three back to back. Yeah. It, like... You, honestly, they stand up completely from one another, but when you listen to it on an album scale, like hitting those three right after the... You, you just are you just stoned out of your mind listening to those songs. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, because now that you're bringing up like orders of tracks, it makes you really like... Those, those become moments in their own right, moments on albums that are unforgettable, and those are moments that I didn't have here. Like In this album, you didn't have like those back-to-back tracks where yeah. you're just like, oh, that was a great pair, or that was a great trilogy. And then I think back to the other things where I was just completely mind-blown, because usually because of the contrast between them, such as uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, Money... Us and Them, Any Color You Like. That's a great trilogy for me. A great trilogy. And I'm not even like, I, I'm not, I don't like that album front to back like most people, but that is a phenomenal trilogy. Just and those a, songs, the three be... back to back, they stand out because of the severe contrast between them from kind of a little bit funky and a little 7-4 money going on there, and then the very mellow Us and Them into the psychedelic trip of Any Color You Like. Those are three wildly different uh, flavors for kind of the same feel, a band that never really leaves their core sound. But I would argue that specifically Money, but those three tracks in general, Money is like, it's all hook. It really is all hook. True, and I have an anecdote. My dad actually, he loves Pink Floyd. He got sick of Money because they played it on the radio endlessly in the 70s. Endlessly. That was the, uh, the track that they Pink, got tired yeah, of. Yeah, I got, I got sick of Pink Floyd growing up in late 90s, early 2000s because yeah, well, it was always on the radio. Always on Q104. Well, well, when, when, all, when all you have is the radio in the 70s, yeah. that it, it's especially tiresome. But, like, that track, Money, it, that's all hook. And it, take, it, it took a lot for me to start disliking that track. Because of that was just pure repetition that made me start disliking it, and I could think back to well, uh, let's let's let me go through Blink's discography, all the small things. Really, is the four main hooks yeah. with a slow, pretty part, as they say on their live album, which I love quoting. Matt likes quoting, and we we we, we tend to quote it. Steve quoted it in the episode. There you go. <laughs> That that track I uh, I still find very endearing and I love it not just for the nostalgia reasons I love the lyrics I love the flow I love the way that track is built and it's built around its just core components of four main hooks but for again, each section but again that song is on an album that's not just hook after hook there are a lot of hooks on that record and a lot of singles but then there are songs like Mutt which is not like the, it's not all hook. And, and I think that's my issue here, is that I just got exhausted. Like, I'm supposed to like everything here. You know why? Because it breaks the fourth wall a little bit. Basically, when a hook is begun, you the purpose of it is so obvious. Yeah. So painfully obvious. And in some ways, that takes you out of the art. Like, it doesn't feel as natural because it's like they just turned to the audience and, and said, Get up, you're going to sing along. And... That was always kind of tiresome to me. So in that case, I'm not saying I've never liked a chorus in my life. That's ridiculous. But, like, there's something about it that doesn't... It always feels like a departure in some ways. Being like, let me go back to the verse. Ah, content. Here we go. We're getting the story. We're getting the atmosphere. We're getting the general environment where he wants to be. And then he defines it. He underlines it, you know, as if you didn't get it before. It leaves... Choruses 
tend to, tend to, because of course you can write a very artful co uh, chorus that completely, you know, circumvents all of these, these cliches, but they tend to really spell things out for the listener. Well, because you want people to sing along and remember, and that's what the chorus and the hook yeah. usually are supposed to do, is to yeah. remember and to get the message across. Yeah, but I mean, imagine if you did that to, like, you know, works of literature, and you just, like, said, we're not going to read the book today, we're just going to write, like, two-sentence taglines of the chapters. Did you really get the art? Like, how much would you miss if you did that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, also, like, as far as breaking the fourth wall, there are some places where it works. I mean, the Deadpool movie was very famously, in the comics, he Deadpool always broke the fourth wall because he was insane. He didn't just, and, he didn't just speak to the audience in person. He had two voices that were separate and distinct that spoke to the audience. But the reason that it worked is because that was would alternate with, uh, you know, high action scenes and actual, you know, in integrated, well-written comic book stuff arguably and that so it wasn't always breaking the fourth well, wall to, well to be fair I'm also really stretching the meaning of breaking the fourth sure. wall that's clearly not what hooks but, are doing I'm just saying but, there is something a little bit obvious about it's taking yourself out of your art for a moment to define the song as a whole well, like, and, why couldn't the song just do that now? And, and that's what I'm saying is at least with Deadpool like he's doing that in moments but not constantly and this album is doing it constantly and so I think when you when you do that and bring that attention all the time mm -hmm. it doesn't leave a lot of other things yeah. because that's what stands out it's but, why I well it's why I always harp on composition you know composition yeah. usually tends to go past that because then when you get the equivalent of a chorus something you'd say a recurring motif something that is uh a layout motif or whatever, then you really only get the sense of it in the aftermath. It didn't, like, slap you in the face. It always feels a little... The idea of good composition is you'd make things feel more natural, a little bit more logical, but also artistically spontaneous. Yeah. And there's very little that is spontaneous about uh, a standard pop chorus. But I would say that the one benefit of it is... You get an album full of singles. Well, like, yeah. that is actually a great From selling point. From a marketing point. perspective. Not just marketing, but to, to get people into a discography. Like, I'll go back a little bit to my discussion of, my summation of this album. If you have a, an album full of singles, you'll find one for each individual person. Sure. That's going to enjoy that track, that specific track. And some tracks are definitely going to stand out more than others, but for this one... This album, California, 14 tracks, two jokes, but 14 tracks, I'd say 12 of these 14 really could do a lot to draw somebody in. Maybe not as a whole, but on a track by track. This will be good for this person. This will be good for that person. They really all it's have things. Like, that's that. I, okay, you know what? It's a buffet. Yeah. The food, food's not the greatest in the world, but there's so many different ones to choose from. They kind of all taste greasy and the same. Mm -hmm. But then again, they all taste greasy, and they all that's a, that's a that's a taste that a lot of people like, and it works. And even I like to eat some greasy hamburgers every once in a while, so it works. It does work. I guess. I guess ultimately, the we fast can't, food of music. Yeah. yeah. I, I, ultimately, we can't. <laughs> I hate to say that. Yeah, but ultimately, but you did. I did. And we can't deny it. Like. Whether we think it works or not, ultimately, Steve said it best. That was their goal, and they did it. So it was a success in <laughs> And that they did vein. it, so it's done. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I, the I'm, podcast, I'm Music is Life, Life is Good. No. <laughs> not going to lie, not going to lie. I got White Castle a few weeks ago. I enjoyed it. My stomach didn't afterwards, but I enjoyed eating it. It was quick. <laughs> it was dirty. It tasted good. Is it something that I should take, make a habit of enjoying? No. But when you get a meal like this, when you get an album full of hooks, you'll find some tasty tidbits that may not be healthy 
for music, but are still going to be enough to keep you satisfied for a short while. You know what had a good hook? Gautier, somebody you used to know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's somebody song, I used to know. Yeah, well, that song is a song I still. I know. I know sing. that seems so like that. That's like old man Steve being like, "I just discovered that." Tra-. Yeah. No, I discovered it when it came out. Right. Everybody did, but like, he, there's a reason that was circulated because it was. I don't know. I feel like it, it signified a kind of like, oh, pop isn't necessarily what pop was like yesterday. Yeah. It seemed like pop had become. Oh, all right, alt rock really is pop now. Yeah, it, it's like that's it. That's it. We've 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 moved the masses in that direction. We've, we've now, won. Of course, now, you know, what? yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of, sorta. I mean, like, it wasn't the most amazing song in the world, but it was a, it was a, it deserved its 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 number one status for however long it had it. Well, think about that song. Also, like anyone who covered it, also it was a hit. I mean, we we, we lauded um, "Walk Off me. the Earth's" cover of it when they all played on the one guitar, but one giant guitar, because it was such a strong hook that when they did it, and they were talented singers and songwriters, also. It just, it works still. Right, so why did I bring that up? Because I guess I still, even within fast food, I have preferences. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that's the thing. I guess that's why I still think at the end of the game, it's not just a matter of, you can't just leave it at, well, hooks are one thing, hooks are other things. You know, choruses are one thing, choruses are other things. And really, sometimes I feel we should actually have prefaced this discussion with, um, you know, well, what defines a hook? Is it just a synonym for a chorus? And I feel very often it actually is something that's a little bit more, um, a little bit more concise yeah. and... Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, hooky, you know, <laughs> then a chorus, whatever, I'm just going to go with that. But, like, it's something more concise. It's not quite as expansive as a chorus. A chorus is, well, the... I got it. I got it in a nutshell. Jackson 5's, the one, the, the, the three letters, A, B, C. That right there, that's the definition of yeah, a it's hook. Yeah, a hook. It's, yeah. it's the distilled... Easy to sing along with or emote along with. Super obvious one, yeah. Yeah. And whatever it goes into afterwards doesn't matter because at that point you are in tune and you can follow along. Yeah. And I do have a tendency, uh, the more complex that choruses get, the less I have a tendency, just coincidentally, to not call them hooks. Yeah. You know, because then I start to see them as intricate parts of the composition. But again, there's that thing about like, uh, you know, turn the page, we have a hook now. The the, the sudden... um, uh, but yet not spontaneous nature of it that I feel is is uh, not really up my alley, you know? Yeah. It, but I know that there are degrees of talent within that, and I think that some goatees somebody you used to know is definitely one of them. Um, it got made fun of for that reason, but hell, I think it was mostly for the reason that, you know, you, you take a few jabs at your friend, you know? It's like they liked it. They secretly liked it. That was why it got made fun sure, of. Sure, I mean, parody is considered... F- Flattery sometimes. Yes. So, you know. Usually. Usually. I mean. Not I, always. Not always. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I guess at, at a personal level, I think I'm just disappointed with this record in particular. And so it's kind of coloring this. Uh, ultimately. Surprise, surprise. Our topics are related to our albums. Yeah. Usually. Yes. <laughs> sometimes if the album didn't spark conversation, at least, at least it sparked conversation. I just, you know, I want, I think I'm getting closer to a place where Steve is. You know, I want more than just catchy. Oh, it only took you four years. Oh, I want more than just catchy, but catchy is still catchy. There's a reason that's I mean, the descriptor. You, you can go either way. Yeah. You really can. It, it's, it's true. I mean, Steve I was do- the first one to make fun of centuries and is the first one to bring it up. And Almost I, every I, time. I am. 
Yeah, I, and so, you know, it's, sometimes about... I just turn to my friend and I just go, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> yeah, there you can't go. even do it, enunciate the words for centuries because you don't that's, have to. you don't have to. That's like a caricature, like of, of someone where you use the minimal amount of lines in order to ha make their face recognizable. Yeah. The first one that I can think of is Lenin. You need like a, a, like a minimum of like 15 strokes yeah. to create Lenin's face, being like two little circles, right? And then just a little bit of the nose and you don't even have to fill out the head. Boom, you know it's Lenin, John yeah. Lenin. And that's it. That's it. And that is the mark of how popular someone is. Yeah. The same could be said for how little you have to sing to know it was a pretty damn memorable hook. Yeah. And how popular it was. Or how nefarious it was. Yeah. <laughs> and the person was at that. Yeah. All right. Spam well, time. Yeah. Let's go into our spam and then uh, close it out. Your products or services doesn't need to be long, particularly when it's a specific solution. As an example, a well-written five various website how-to document for grooming your dog may possibly promote for $15 to $20. Okay. By who? Um, an IP address. <laughs> Very specific. Literally a computer. How however, the email is wangwangtinggirl at gmail.com. Of course it is. And the URL is childrenshopeinaction. Dot org. Wang Wang King Girl? Children's this Hope is just in the most inconsistent spam we've ever read uh, on air. Children's Hope in Action dot org slash images slash New Balance. I don't, don't go to that website. Does New Balance have like a little charity? Uh, like thing? a charity? Uh, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what's there, but it's full <laughs> and of fire. Does, does Wang Wang Ting Girl operate it? From an anonymous bot? Wow, Steve, you've made it a I've... cultivated skill pulling these spam. I think I have. All right. Well, let's get into what we're doing next week. Um, we are bringing our next guest to the podcast, who's bringing us an album, because that's how this works. Um, it is Johnny Caligula, um, a burlesque performer and a true gentleman, and we are excited to have him. He's bringing us an artist who has been featured in previous record. We are bringing, he's bringing Chance the Rapper's coloring book. And Chance the Rapper was featured on Donnie Trumpet's record. Um, and what, what number was Donnie Trump? Donnie Trumpet? Donnie Trumpet was episode 173, Surf by Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment. And we really enjoyed Chance the Rapper's rapping on that record. So mm -hmm. I'm actually excited to do another rap record so close to Aesop because I'm excited to hear Chance on a larger scale because we enjoyed what he did on that record. Mm -hmm. So Johnny is bringing us that, and we will jump into some more hip-hop. So we will see you guys next week. And remember, as always, music is life. And life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one -on -one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.